0: Log Talk Radio.
1: It's the Weekend Watchdogs with Mike Sova and Joe Bono.
0: It's Saturday, October the 10th, another edition of the Weekend Watch Dogs. Mike Silva, Joe Bono. I uh, hope everybody's doing well. If you want to listen to the show live or on play go to WeekendWatchDogs.com, send us a tweet, at MikeSilvaMedia, at JBono611, and you can check us out on iTunes, as well as the Weekend Watchdogs radio page. And joining me, still a little crust in the eye, my third cup of coffee, I am up, I am peppy, I'm ready to talk New York sports, specifically, or specifically, the NLDS. Still bringing the fastball. Are you bringing the fastball, Joe Bono, after a very late night of <laughs> Dodgers baseball? Mike, you don't have to worry about me bringing up the fastball. I mean, Mike admitted to me that um, you know he was really struggling there in the third inning, despite the game just kind of going very quickly. uh, was struggling there in the third inning or so, and said to me that if the Dodgers put up a five spot around the middle innings, he might have checked out, so that's who we're dealing with here today, folks. Meanwhile, myself, I'm at Barclay Center opening night, I leave at second intermission, I rush on home, then I'm watching the games, both games simultaneously. I am in, I am locked in, and then I'm locked in post game because that's that's what a Met fan does when his team is in oh, the n l d s for the first time in I nine see years. It's not the I stayed up. I stayed up for most of the game. Once they hit Degrom after Murphy, I I was like, that's enough. Because most of the question, the questions. To be fair, the questions are a lot better during the baseball media sessions than they are during the NBA. I mean, the NBA just is really dumb. I mean, it's really silly, and maybe that's just the nature of the league and who's covering it. But it wasn't that bad. But after a while, how many? How do you feel after you get a big hit? Questions for David Wright. Do you really need to hear? Um but yeah, uh first time in nine years of the Mets were in the postseason. Uh I don't know about you, Joe, but I was rather cerebral throughout the game in the sense that you had confidence that DeGrom would be able to, if not match the zeros with Kershaw, probably hold the Dodgers to one run. It was exactly what I expected. Whatever team was gonna come up with that big hit, big moment, and you joke about the five spot and how I would have checked out. All it would have taken was one of those Kadir fly balls that he botched for the Dodgers to get a run Ooh. or maybe two getting runs. back out there in the series. And and that would have been the game, and that's I think the rest of the series, except for maybe game three, where they have Anderson going with is a huge drop off, and I assume that Kershaw and Grinky are gonna pitch four of the five games, especially now that they're down one zip. That's gonna be the series. You're not gonna put up five spots against Greinke or Kershaw. Uh, you may put up a five spot against uh, you know one of the Mets' young pitchers because I still think they have the capability of imploding a little bit. We saw that during the regular season. I don't see that happening with these two veterans. And um, then it's going to be a battle of the bullpens, and I think that right now Jerry's Familiar showed you that he is certainly playoff ready. Um, the multi-out save reminiscent of the, uh, the days of the Yankees and Mariano Rivera. Uh, the Mets got a couple of clutch hits, and, and away you go. And now they have, according to the experts, a 72% chance of advancing to the NLCS some, since they got one in a short series. Some really big moments in this game, and I would have been interested to see how they played out if things happened differently. To me, the biggest moment in the game was the Tejada at bat, Mets up one nothing, and Tejada looked awful against Kershaw the whole entire game and somehow battles back. And he walks him on a pitch well out of the strike zone. It wasn't like the Granderson at bat later on in the inning where it was a close 3-2 pitch off the corner that took a real good eye. Kershaw missed poorly because I was so curious as to what Terry Collins was going to do with runners in scoring position, up one nothing, top of the seventh inning, would he have let DeGrom hit? And that took that decision out of his hands. DeGrom put down the perfect bunt. Granderson then walks sets up the stage for right. Really tough situation for Don Maddling there. You're watching your best pitcher, arguably the best pitcher in baseball, walk three guys in the same inning, struggling along, labor along in the seventh inning, facing a right-handed bad batter that hits lefties well, but at the same time, he handled right really well during the game. He goes to the bullpen, right? Gets ahead of the count, works at a 3-2 and two, gets the big base hit. But that, that key at bat from Tejada, I would have been fascinated to see what Terry Collins would have done there because the Mets trying to go read Clippard familia is different than just trying to get two outs from Clippard and then hand it over to Jerry's. I think Collins has been pretty clear, and I think he would have loved to get eight innings out of DeGrom, but at 120-plus pitches, that's not realistic, that he wants it to be starting pitcher-Familia. Now... Tyler Clippard, who I've been concerned about since
1: pretty, pretty much yeah, the
0: first week absolutely. he came over, even when no, he was getting people not that out. Early. He was nah, good Joe, for the peripheral, numbers, the peripheral numbers weren't good even early in the – mm, Yeah, uh, but this is all kind of – And his velocity happening. is down. his back issue. This is his back issue. He's leaving his change up, up in the strike zone. It's getting hit around. I think you can look at a particular point in time where he started having some injury concerns and in how the performance is going – I'm just questioning. You look at what happened down the stretch to September. They had the numbers since September 7th, ERA over 7. And what he did again yesterday, I mean, he had a three-run cushion, a, a one-run a one game. He's not going to – can't have that. He can't have that. And at what point do you go to Addison Reed? Because I have more faith right now, Mike, in Addison Reed throwing hard, throwing strikes than I do Tyler Clipper. I mean, both of them are shaky propositions because both of them have the propensity maybe to uh, spit it up maybe you have to really think about doing two innings with Familia. And I know that you risk burnout, but you got days off in between. Maybe you get a batter or two from these guys. I think you got to go Familia. You don't play around with it. Um, and uh, look, you know, not that you want to you want to say this is house money tonight and, you know, who cares? You, know, I don't think Mets fans will be watching as, uh, you know, anxiety-driven tonight as they would have last night. Because you go in, you accomplish the goal, you got one of these games. Now, you'd rather not come back to L.A. for Game 5 Thursday and face Kershaw again in a decisive game because eventually the guy's going to come up big in a postseason spot. Well, they this likely won't Very similar. in Game 5. You've you got to look at it. If the Mets win one of the next two games and there's a 2-1 series lead and the Mets are Game 4, now it's interesting because if the Mets are up 2-1, they'll go Mets in Game 4, and the Dodgers will probably come back with Kershaw and then have DeGrom waiting for Greinke in Game 5. That's how it'll play out. That's true. That, if the Mets are up 2-1, yeah. You know, maybe even if the Mets are down 2-1, they may just try to put the hammer down and put the series away. This is very reminiscent, I think, to the Arizona series back in 1999 in the sense that did anybody – think back to Game 4. Mets win a dramatic Game 1. They get rocked in Game 2 in Arizona. They blow out the D-backs in Game 3 behind Rick Reed. And then you have the Game 4, which was the the uh, uh, the game where Pratt hit the the extra innings home run over Steve Finley's glove. I think back to that, I don't think anybody wanted to go back to Arizona and face er- Randy Johnson in the desert in the decisive Game 5. And whether it's Kershaw or Greinke, no matter how the Dodgers go, I don't think anybody wants to come back here for Game 5. So if you win tonight, and maybe that's where the sense of urgency comes and the greed comes in, you go back to New York, and you're able to stub your toe. But regardless, I think the mission at this point is just don't lose at home. You've already won one of the starts you needed to win. Like I said, if you're going to face these guys four to five times, you've got to split their games, and you've got, you've got to win game three. No matter what happens tonight, obviously you've got to win game three. So that's where they've set themselves up, where Matt Harvey now, straight in the crosshairs. I'm not even looking towards tonight. Tonight is house money. Game three. You cannot lose it's game three. It's not house money. Even it's up not to house zero, money. you cannot lose you game three. You feel good. Well, yeah, exactly. You feel good about the Mets, regardless of what happens tonight, to come back home with a serious split, especially when you're facing Kershaw and Greinke, if you can win one of those two games. But the opportunity, like you said, to have Matt Harvey on the hill Monday night, 8.30, 830 Monday night at City Field. Why is 8.30 a problem against Monday I don't think that's a that's a late freaking start for. Um, I mean, New York. better than nine forty-five. I mean, it's a play. I mean, I love it to be eight o'clock. Oh, okay, nine forty-five is, is game the time. Watch? Watching the game on television, and the game in LA is starting before seven. In New York, the game is starting eight forty-five, eight thirty-five, eight forty at night. People are in their seats. The game's going to end over midnight, and people have to go home and go to work the next day. That's worse. Right. And I'll be one of those people. But I took off Tuesday already. So I'm prepared. You've <laughs> already prepared for maybe even a, 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 a late night celebrating if the Mets win tonight, and then well, I'm just in, saying I need uh, to either get home um, and sleep in on Tuesday, or um, I also need to get out to City Field early on Tuesday for the game on Tuesday night for Game Four. So either way, Mark could pass. grind it out. To get, you could grind it out and burn the candle on both ends, like a good reliever would, and just keep going and pounding away. Sounds like you're not a back-to-back. <laughs> If you were released so Monday, you don't Monday's go back. To back day. Game. Monday's a, not a bank holiday. Day. Now it's a bank, bank holiday, day. and people are Only, not going. Only non-revenue generating uh, businesses take off uh, uh, Columbus Day. Yeah, and like, banks uh, they investment, like, inve- like investment banks and <laughs> <Not> revenue <laughs> generating. Okay, Mike. Nine. Well, when you when you control the economy, you could take off <laughs> the Columbus Day. But uh, look, you got Brett Anderson in Game Three. You got Granky tonight. Brad Anderson is eminently hittable. He's a league average pitcher, um, so you need to win that game. And now, out of the next three with Grinky and Kershaw, you got to get one. And um, you know, you certainly have the pitchers that could string up zeros out there. Uh, Mets showed you a lot. I know that the narrative that's out there is that the old guard, the Murphy, the Wright, the guys that have been around since '08, right? Obviously, since '06, and the disappointment '06 played a big role. Um, And look, maybe this is the postseason of Wright. Maybe this whole thing with the spinal stenosis, and I'll tell you what, Joe, back when it was announced, I think sometime in late May that he had this injury, I didn't think we'd see him again this year. I didn't know what they were going to do. I still think long-term it's going to be a problem. Wright actually is finally in, probably for what, spinal stenosis or not, the kind of hitter he is now. The number two spot is is perfect. He's more of a line drive contact hitter. He's not going to give you power. You know he knows how to work a count. He did that. You saw that in the first inning with Kershaw. I think he's in the perfect spot in the lineup for this time in his career. And he came up and he did exactly what a hitter who is a contact-driven line-drive hitter does: work the count, hit a line drive, hope to find a hole. And that's exactly what he did. And you knew Baez sweating there. He wasn't. He didn't really attack right till that very last pitch. Let's put that. He danced around the strike zone. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, another thing that big thing for me was we had so much discussion heading into the playoffs as, as to what Kerry Collins' lineup against a left hander would look like. Because so often during the regular season, he would load up the lineup with inferior right handed hitters and rest a Duda or a Murphy or a Granderson. And what you saw last night was the lefties hit Kershaw great last night. From the first pitch of the game and Grandison hitting the ball to the warning track hard to Duda hitting the ball off his foot for a base hit, Grandison later the single up the middle, and, of course, Murphy with the 415-foot home run. The lefties had the best at bats against Kershaw last night, and I didn't know the stat until after the game watching MLB Network, but during the course of the 2015 season, left-handed hitters actually had a higher OPS against Kershaw than right-handed hitters. And everyone looked at the lineup that said Murphy as the cleanup hitter, but obviously the Mets were doing their homework when it came to how lefties hit Kershaw specifically for power in RBI situations, and they really did work out well. Now listen, Duda, I liked as at-bats last night, got the big walk after the 3-0 pitch looked low, um, came back, drew the walk against Kershaw in that seventh inning. He had the base hit off his foot. If they can keep him hot, and can Cespedes get hot? He almost got one last night. He almost yeah, got one. I thought hit that was one. going out. It's a tough hit play hit the left a field. Run. Looked like it hit off his, um, you know, Yankee Stadium. That's probably a home run. Looked like it hit off the end of his bat. But if they could get those two guys healthy, the Mets, the Mets are in great position to make a long run in this postseason because you believe the starting pitching will be there um, throughout the season. So we'll see what Cindergar has tonight. Mike, the only thing he is the bullpen. Even Reed is good. I mean, you just don't feel comfortable, but. If you could get two innings out of Familia, and they should. Even the Yankees, who during their run had some pretty good set of guys, Stanton, Nelson, guys like that. Joe Joe Torrey didn't mess around. Joe to Joe Torrey. Joe Torrey didn't mess around. He went to his big guy. You can't mess around. And the one concern you have is that Collins falls blindly in love with people. You saw that with Bobby Parnell. I'm telling you. Bobby Parnell needs to be shackled somewhere in Port St. Lucie. He can't be anywhere near the postseason roster because he's not he, going it, to be. But if he did. The guy cleared he, out his. He cleared Collins out his roster have- right away. He cleared out his his uh, locker right away. He well, knew he's it. He's a, a free tackle. agent. You're never going to see Bobby Parnell in a Mets uniform again. I, I agree with that. But the thing that you see with Collins, and he was very terse with Adam Rubin in the postgame, Adam Rubin of ESPN, that. Well, I'm not changing. Well, you know what? I know you want to show confidence in Clippard. That's what managers do. They show confidence in their veterans. But you have to look at the process, and Clippard didn't get anybody out last night. Outs found gloves. But I'm okay Alex with last night. Gloves. I'm okay with last night. Guys guy's been working back through injuries. Mets had you know, close out. to a week off. Get two outs. The pop-up. Well, I'm talking He's about been, the one out to Anderson was, was a luck out. That was a line drive that could have... They all I mean, listen. The hardest hit ball against the Grom was with two on, and Kershaw took Cespedes Kershaw, up the right. wall in a great play. Cespedes in center field, who continues to nobody. Nobody's the way talking can... about that. He's that's a game changer. Nobody's talking about how Kershaw went and and smoked one there to center field. It looked like nobody. No, it might that have was the out. best swing against him all, all night long. Um, obviously had the you know the Seeger kind of fluke double uh, that he didn't know where it was, and then uh, obviously um, obviously Kedire had a real real rough night. But listen. I'm okay with Clippard getting the eighth inning last night. They had the week off. You hope he was healthy. Worked out some of the kinks. And he really needed to get out of that inning unscathed to start feeling good again and have some confidence. And you can see his reaction as he walked off the mound. He was so annoyed that he couldn't just get through the inning. And I'm right. just wondering if you get in the same situation, if it's a one-run lead tonight, would you go to Clippard or go to Reed? To me, you go to Reed. I don't have the faith right now in Clifford right now. He's got to show 100%. me. Now, if I have a two-run lead, maybe I do that, and I have as the fallback on the four- or five-out save. But to me, eighth inning, to start the inning, if the Mets have a one-run lead, Addison reads the guy I'm penciling in. I agree 100% with that. And then the other thing we haven't talked about, not to be negative, but uh, and the jokes were, were pretty fast and flowing on Twitter during the game. And if you want to, obviously, send us a tweet, at media at Bono six one one. Uh, all the time, twenty four were at the Twitter feed. Um, I mean, they make jokes about Michael Cadyer needing a GPS to find a couple of fly balls that he that he dropped. There was one fly ball, and I thought mine was pretty. My my comment was pretty uh, witty. Or even the ones that he caught, he looked like a GPS buffering, trying to find <laughs> itself. You know, when you get to the buffer point with a GPS, it's like you know looking, recalculating, for the... recalculating. He was recalculating when he when he calculated, he actually found the fly ball. Um, <laughs> And, I'm, you know, again, I don't know if Kadair at this point, other than maybe as a pinch hitter against certain pitchers, you know, left-handed bats, he's any better of an offensive option than Juan Lagares And, well, you know what Juan Lagares could do defensively. So, to me, that's... Well, that's the question. In left hand Against lefties, are you going Cespedes and left, Lagares in center? Because you know what the lineup is against right-handers. That's going to be Conforto's spot every single time against a right. Conforto will be in the lineup well, tonight. I, Knowing how Collins basically is going to go to the well with Clippard and, and Kadair, and I think, look for this. This is going to be a theme, mark my words, and it's a, it's a fireable theme. This is where this guy is going to get himself in trouble. And I know that he's going to do it because as a manager, you've got to stick with your veterans, and in his mind, these guys they are going to need him, and they're going to come through for him at a big moment, but you have to look at the process. The process with Kadair is, lost in the outfield, Terrible overmatched at bats. There's nothing there that says this guy is, uh, uh, you know, a pitch away from breaking out. Not saying he's not a valuable part of the team. He can come off the bench as a pinch hitter. With Clippard, I'm telling Joe, I know he got the pop out, but it, his stuff was absolutely mediocre to awful last night. That's after a week layoff. There was absolutely nothing that showed me that Clippard could get and navigate a, a tight game. There's nothing from that. I'm not disagreeing, disagreeing with Knight, you. I'm not disagreeing with that you. Get through. And if he continues, because he's a stubborn you-know-what, Terry, to go that route and they blow a game that they're supposed to win because he refuses to adjust, well, what I predicted three, four years ago with this guy, who has, doesn't have a feel for the game, is exactly what's going to happen. The Mets fans are going to sit around, and I said, well, I told you this. That's The weaknesses, now, Mattingly's no... Miller Huggins in the dugout either. I don't criticize. I criticize Mattingly in one sense, and I think it's it's symptomatic of the modern game. He goes to bias the righty, and he's a hundred percent correct. He's looking at the numbers, David Wright kills lefties. But to your point, here's where you need some critical thinking. This is some of these old school guys, and I am not by any means uh, a guy that's into these advanced metric managers that sit there and and uh, you know they're the middle manager. They just follow the orders, but. They don't put context into some of the numbers. Wright would have. First of all, Kershaw's your horse. Unless you think he's gassed, and I don't think that Kershaw was gassed. Although he might have been diminished a little bit, you got to go with that guy. And um, just you know, just because Wright kills lefties, there's a lot of mediocre lefties in the league that you could kill with those numbers that you see. I don't you know. know Kershaw's I mean, comment. It's a tough move, but it's, it's the move that is symptomatic of the game today. Not going with your guy. Not going with your horse. And Noah, a couple of things are interesting. Number one, in the postgame, Kershaw said how you know he put himself in that position. So I don't have really a lot to complain about. I put myself in that position to be pulled out of that game by walking three guys in the inning. Also, Mattingly he came out of the dugout quick and signaled for the bullpen. He did not want to put himself in a position to get talked out. By Kershaw to have him give him one more inning, and that was interesting because you could tell, you know, the broadcast Ripken, Darling, and Ernie Johnson were talking about, hey, does Rick Honeycutt come out here? I know you have your ace on the mound, but do you come out here and talk? And they were like, oh, here comes Mattingly. And when he when I first saw Mattingly on TV, I said he's going to ask him, hey, what do you want to do? Do you want one more batter? And he didn't even give him that option. He had a signal no, for the Bolton already, sure. so. The other thing about starting pitchers, and I understand, again, I am not, believe me, this is always a difficult situation during the regular season. You don't want to burn these pitchers out. But I really believe, and I continue to say, that injuries uh, under reasonable, responsible conditions, I'm not talking about burning a pitcher out. A pitcher could go 250 innings, could pitch every five days, go seven, eight innings, and not get hurt. It's all about mechanics. A pitcher's mechanics are going to determine how they uh, how they stay healthy. Not 100% of the time, but a lot of the time. The Mets now are starting to stretch guys like the Grom into the 120 pitch range in the playoffs. It would have been nice if they did that a little more in the regular season, and they didn't. And this is where um, you know your body, the way it performs, is not uh, up for shock value. When you run a marathon, Joe, you don't do little sprints to train. What do you do? You build yourself up. The marathon, yeah, correct? but you also don't run a marathon. But you also don't run a marathon, though, Mike. So you know, listen. Very few pitchers go one twenty-five, one thirty pitchers pitches in any There's circumstances no anymore in Major League Baseball. Night, he was, so I'm saying you, you don't rather have, a have at one going eighty. The difference between going eighty pitches and then going to one hundred and twenty. DeGrom's been a 95 to 105 pitcher the whole season. Pretty much you're looking to get one extra inning out of him that otherwise you would probably go to the bullpen if it was the regular season. So, listen, I understand what you're saying. You would love to know whether or not these guys can do it because they haven't done it before, but I don't think they're asking that much. It's not to me as drastic as a move as if they had an 80-pitch you know, count limit on these guys for the last month and now ask them to throw another 40 pitches. But, but the, the, the luxury the Mets have, and this is where the tough decisions come into play, and you saw it with Mattingly, is that, and you go I go back to, and I, I respect him a ton, and I, I love talking to him. i talked to him many times on and off the air. Rick Peterson always used to say, after pitch 100, whether you're a Hall of Famer or you're Joe Average, Red Anderson, who's going on uh, uh, Monday for game three, pitch 100 is when historically the numbers for a to decline. But who would you rather have? Jacob DeGrom at pitch 115 or Tyler Clippard at pitch one? Well, no, of that course. That's, that's pitch. always the argument. I say, well, even I say, because when when you were looking at the seventh inning and you said, will DeGrom get in the bat with the chance of driving a run? I said on Twitter, I said, I'd rather DeGrom in the seventh inning of one nothing than Reed or Clippard with a chance to be up two nothing, in the seventh or eighth,
1: uh,
0: that's the way I felt about it. And listen, you made that argument. And Rick Peterson's a smart guy, and he knows a lot more about pitching than me. But Degrom was just as good there in the seventh. He, you know, um, retired the last eleven guys well, he faced. He, he was his he got his in com- trouble his, early. His control his about was starting stressful to go innings. Off. They talk about his stressful control. innings, Mike. Like, come on, his control got off. The guy didn't he walk made, anybody. He, he made fired eleven guys in a row. Joe, he made some big 3-2 pitches. Now to give him credit. He wasn't as good in inning seven as he was inning one, but he made big pitches. Well, innings one to. and two is where his pitch count, got, pitch count got all out of whack. You know, he struck out all six guys, but he was battling innings there too. know all six outs were recorded by strikeouts. Whenever you have that many strikeout numbers, your pitch out's going to be higher because you're not pitching the contact. Um, but he did a great job, you know, because if you looked at where he was after two innings, you said, how is he going to go through seven? And the thing is is that he was able to retire 11 guys in a row, and we talk all year long about what kind of innings are these guys pitching. Are they stressful innings? And pitching with out of the windup with no one on base from the fourth inning, fifth inning, sixth, and seventh inning on, they were not stressful innings for Jacob DeGrom. All right, let's continue to talk Mets baseball, but we're going to take a quick break. If you want to chime in, we'll take some calls here between now and 1040. Just to kind of uh, set up the show here, Um, we will talk Yankees post-mortem baseball about 1040. Our buddy Chris Corelli of Yankees Unscripted NSNY is going to rejoin us. I said to Chris yesterday when I texted him, I said, "Ah, we promised we'd bring you back, and he said he'd only come back if I went easy on him. Because every time I bring Chris on, I, I forbear bad news and it happens. So we'll bring Chris back on. We'll do a little bow on the Yankee season, and we'll do more of that as we get into the uh, off season. This is about the Mets today. We will talk a little Giants. Joe and I will do the picks later. I'm sure Mojo will pop on. We'll also uh, chat a little bit about it my, uh five and my Barclay Center review. Which will uh, no? Do we really have time for that today? We yeah. Really? Well, yes, we do because we do I, a, did, I took I your mean, advice. I've said, taken your advice this week, and I've been nasty. I was called snarky. On Twitter, I was called nasty. I was called negative, complaining, because I was so frustrated all day long yesterday um, from the morning through night at the incompetence of Barclay Center that uh, you got to give me some time on that. All right. Let's take a quick break. We'll return Weekend Watch Mike Silver, Joe Bono, taking you all the way up till noon. Check us out live and replay at weekendwatchdog.com. We'll be right back.
1: It's the Weekend Watchdogs with Mike Silva and Joe Bono. Every Saturday between 10 and noon, Mike Silva and Joe Bono bring you the Weekend Sports with a New York slant. A one stop shop of quality commentary, hard hitting debates, intelligent guests, and entertaining pop culture references. Go to weekendwatchdogs.com for an archive of the latest shows, iTunes subscription, and to contact the show. It's Weekend Watchdogs with Mike Silva and Joe Bono. Don't miss it. It's the Weekend Watchdogs with Mike Silva and Joe Bono.
0: Mike Silva, Joe Bono, Weekend Watchdogs here on this uh, October the 10th. Uh, just hours after the Mets beat the Dodgers 3-1 in Game 1 of the NLDS, Game 2 tonight, 9, nine o'clock, Joe? 9 o'clock, right? 9 o'clock. That, 9 o'clock. Uh, my Mets venue is 2-0 now. It, any um, time I hear the theme, the Mets post-game theme that you just played coming out of the break, it always brings me back to my childhood, the 80s, Because, and a lot of people, I don't know if they could relate to this, especially younger people, but growing up in Brooklyn in the 80s, Maybe you remember this, Joe. You're a little bit younger, but at one point, cable television wasn't widely available in certain areas of of Brooklyn. Uh, it was zoned off. I, the mo- most bizarre thing I've ever heard. You know, when you think back to business in the '80s, like why would you not make a product available? Like why? Uh, I don't know if it was politicians or what it was, but I didn't have cable TV until 1992. So throughout my formative, learning baseball years. You probably at that point would get a hundred games on free TV, so you would you would still mm-hmm. get games on free TV. Now you'd get nothing. You get five games a year, but you'd get about a third of the season, maybe a, a little more, where you'd listen on the radio. So I think of those times listening on the radio, then hearing that that post game theme because that was usually going into maybe Howie Rose. Uh, that's, yeah, that's, that's uh, uh, well, yeah. Ed Coleman, Howie Rose. I mean, they both use. it. They still use that theme up until now. I'm not sure if they use it now actually on the WR broadcast. I remember, I haven't heard the WFN broadcast all the time with both Howie and uh, Ed Coleman. By the way, Howie didn't get Howie didn't get any of the calls last night. You know, you're excited to hear Howie Rose call Josh Lewin on the Daniel Murphy. Josh Lewin on the 13th strikeout. I mean, it was Josh Lewin on it it the David Howie. Wright. He's right there, but the way they alternate the innings, it didn't work out that way. Yeah, I know they actually that's, – that's a W.O.R. thing. They alternate innings. That's, that, I know for a fact that they do that. What did you think of the CBS broadcast? So you have Cal Ripken. You have Ernie Johnson, who I still – all I can think of when I hear Ernie Johnson is Reggie Miller. Like, that's what comes to my mind. <laughs> well,
1: think of him he's like definitely the looked at
0: as an NBA guy. Tell you what, uh, if you ever want to – ESPN did a story, a backstory on Ernie Johnson and his life and what he's gone through and his relationship with his dad around Father's Day, uh, what the guy has done – with his life and his personal life with his, so his family. his dad, wasn't his dad an executive? dad was an executive. An M- was he an NBA? No, executive? his dad was a broadcaster. His dad was a player. He played Major League Baseball with the Braves and then later became a broadcaster with the Braves. Ernie was always around and ended up, obviously, becoming a broadcaster and has been with Turner forever. Um, but, obviously, he's had a lot of uh, obstacles in his personal life. He just got through cancer. And then he has a son that his, his um, him and his wife adopted that has a lot of medical challenges, Um It was kind of a crazy story. They actually were watching 2020 one Day, and they were talking about this orphanage in the Ukraine. And uh, his wife looked at him and said, we need to adopt one of these kids. And they went down there to actually adopt, like, a healthy baby, and the wife saw a kid. The wife was there by herself and saw a kid that had all these mental – couldn't speak, couldn't walk, and they adopted him anyway. And that's his son, Michael, and they take care of him every single day. It was a really – Emotional story. So I have nothing but good things to say about Ernie Johnson, the man. No, I don't uh, have a, pro- after don't have a problem with him doing the games. It's just that's my he's okay. personal he's good. feeling. I think Darling dominated because Darling knows he the He knows these teams. Mm-hmm. Cal Ripken, and I have the utmost respect for Cal as a player. And uh, Billy was on my podcast a few years back, and he, he was really good to me. And, and I think Cal's a great guy. And he has a really good perspective on on the game. But as a broadcaster, I thought he brought nothing to the table last night. Zippo, and when he did say something, it was like Captain Obvious type of deal. No, I think it's Smoltz, Smoltz. is a better broadcaster than than Ripken is. I would like to maybe see, you know, Smoltz, but Ronnie. But they're both pitchers. You want the guy. You want the everyday player. You want the pitcher with the with the broadcaster to send him up, or honestly, a two man booth would be probably maybe better than trying to fit some else, out, someone else in there. Um, it's not going to get the same criticism as maybe the ESPN broadcasted um with some of the uh, sexist uh, things were said after the game <laughs> about their uh, female broadcaster on there but i was okay with the with the um with the broadcasting they haven't overdone certain things i also like mlb network does a cool little thing where in the top right hand sc- part of the screen they actually have a little diagram that shows you where the fielders are positioned during the at bat it's very like yeah, it's I not in your, it's not it's not overwhelming it's not like oh look at this yeah. new high tech thing we have um, it's just right. kind of there, and you could very well look at it. So yeah. Now I'm trying to remember because I think it kind of blended in. Did they do the stupid box like ESPN on the TV? I'm trying to remember last night. Like, did this the strike zone like, box? No, no they, no, they, they don't. Show so actually, let me let me let me rephrase. They they show you like on the side. Throughout the at bat, I think where things were in and out, they show you. I thought on the side, or maybe I'm, I'm blending it with the ESPN coverage. No, yeah, but you're blending. It's not there the entire time. They they show it afterwards. They'll show the pitches in the at bat or a certain points on replay. I think it's a waste. But it's not. It's not, it's it's just not on there the well, entire time. Right, which is yeah. a waste and what have you. I also the other positive from the broadcast is that Sam Ryan on on the sidelines, um, and they didn't like shove her down your throat. And they went to Collins with that dopey in-game interview. I don't remember Mattingly. Mattingly didn't get interviewed at all, did he? It was just Collins. And so Mattingly, yeah. you know, I don't know if that was purposely because of the Dodgers or they, it was one or the other. But it's not like they were jumping to the sidelines to show you the info, babe, to give you something that you really don't need to know in the middle of the game. I thought they did that well. Um, and then they went to the post game, and that was it. And then I switched over to SNY. And what have you uh, to see their coverage and whatnot. So I thought the broadcast was not really an annoying broadcast. No, probably no, because it. Darling was there. I think that it settled down the annoying the annoying quotient. I, I saw on Twitter because I didn't watch it early in the day. People are not into Bob Costas because you know Bob Costas is you know although Costas to me the, the height of Costas is you know listening to do NBA uh, and thinking of him doing the NBA finals when Jordan's final. Well, not his final season, but when his final Chicago Finals. You know, to me, the theater that that Costas could create. Yeah, but he's, he's more of a cool. he's more of a baseball guy than 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 anything else. And people, but I like when him the better Mets were NBA because he doesn't have the chance to preach. You know what I'm saying? Like Costas likes to get on steroids, and I don't want to be I don't want to be lectured. And the problem with Bob is he's at a point in his life where he wants to lecture everybody. I don't want to hear. Well, about. I think. Listen, I think, Mike, he knows when he's being put in a situation where he has that form, and he also is very smart to know when he doesn't have that form. And when he's doing play-by-play baseball, he's doing play-by-play baseball. When he's the studio host or post-game host of the NFL on NBC, uh, he has more leeway to do that, and I'll take advantage of that to let it be known what his feelings are on a particular topic and make some I'm news. not even talking but about the guns comment. Not I'm re- not even talking about that. I'm just he's talking about pre- general baseball, baseball saying, commentary. He's not, I don't think he's going to force or preach anything. When he's there to do play-by-play, he'll do play-by-play. When he's there on a panel to get philosophical about the game, he'll do that too. And uh, he got the best game of the day, and the Blue Jays got robbed. The Blue, that, he was out at second base. There was conclusive evidence that Tulowitzki had a door out the, is put, bounced off the bag, and that should not have happened. And you have the Blue Jays here, which is everyone's favorite to make the World Series, um, and all of a sudden now they're down 0-2 going to Texas. And the Texas Rangers, under 500 after 100 games, make that Cole Hamels trade, and everyone thinks it's for next year so they could have Hamels and Darvish um, somehow are one win away from being in the ALCS. Amazing. And let me get on a little soapbox here for a few minutes. Not even a few minutes, maybe 37 seconds. This idea, and Rob Manfred dispelled any of this, that all of a sudden the playoff format has to change because the Pittsburgh Pirates, who won 98 games, only got to play in a one-game playing game, has to stop. I'm really tired of people taking an anomaly season where two teams won 95-plus games in the wild card, and now saying that, you know what, divisions don't matter. I'm tired of hearing how the Mets played the Braves and the Phillies and, and all those times. You know what? The Dodgers had to play the Diamondbacks who stunk at times. By the way, the Rockies look like total crapola most of the times I saw them, and I know they're an annoying team because of Colorado. They played them. San Diego stinks. Milwaukee, I mean, Jesus, is there a team worse than the Reds? And the Brewers at times, you know, I I could uh, you know the, yeah, the uh, play them, yeah the Phillies and the, <laughs> the Phillies and the Marlins and the you Braves. Know, when 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 it happened, you know, and I I heard this at, at times during the the regular season and what have you. You know what? I don't remember in 1999 if the Mets didn't beat the Pirates and sweep them that weekend, and the Reds didn't lose in Milwaukee, Mets would have won over 95 games and not been in the playoffs. Nobody had oh, There was the. Oh, well, remember at that back. point. Let's at look. that point, Mike. At that point, Mike, you know the wild card was only four years old, right? Ninety-five was the first year of the wild card, so you there went from a no situation point. where you know if you were if you were in the situation where the Mets were, where you were with the Braves in the division, they were winning hundred games every year, um, you had very little shot of making the postseason. So I don't think people were going to complain uh, if the team did not win the wild card because the wild card didn't exist a uh, four years uh, four years earlier. So listen, I think what's going on with the Pirates is is that you have three straight years now where they've had to play this this one-game playoff. And it's uh, three straight years where if the situation was what it was prior to them adding this extra playoff spot, they would have a real playoff series. And they've lost two out of the three years. And two out of the three years, they've had to face a pitcher who was on top of their game. And Madison Bumgarner last year and Jake Arrieta this year. So, uh, that's where the frustration is. If you're you a pirate fan, I it. understand it because you're thinking you're thinking to yourself, wow, you know, if they didn't put this stupid rule in place, we would have a best of five series after yeah. every year, and every year we got to sweat out the one game playoff. That's their fault. You know, they could have won the division. They played lousy against the top teams in their division. Um, as far as reseeding after the wild card playing game. I guess you could do that because then the, this will all change. If you receive, the, the, the travel. Tubs, You're not going to be the able to do that. You need the message. travel. You need the travel in place. You need the travel well, in place where people are They're, going, where the media is going. You can't. You can't do that. I'm I'm I'm, I'm with you on that. See that, that that's a, I'm hundred percent agreeing with you on that. What's amazing is now all these things are on the table for a league that for you know a thousand years used to alternate the World Series based on you know American League, National League, and you used to ask them why. Well, because of travel and booking hotels. As if Major League Baseball doesn't have enough power and money that they can't book hotels for the World Series. I mean, come on. So I'm not, I don't want to hear this stuff. I'm tired of hearing it. It annoys me now, because even in the NBA, they make all these changes based on an anomaly situation. Well, the East isn't strong enough to be its own conference, so we've got to seat everybody, 1 through 16, because in five years, who knows? Maybe the East is better than the West. Then what, are you going to change it back to conferences? You know, everybody wants to make things fair or make things um, true for the current situation, not knowing or not caring that it's not going to be like this forever. I mean, not every year are you going to have a 98-win team that's a wild-card team. I mean, that year we brought up in 1999. If it wasn't for the fact that the Reds played probably a way above their heads that year, Mets would have won that wild-card by double digits. wouldn't have even been a playing game. I'm but just saying if you're Nobody a Pittsburgh cares. Pirate fan, if you're a Pirate fan and this rule has been in existence you for three care, years right. and three straight years you're hosting the playoff game and your season ends and mm. every year you're in mid-90s, it's got to be frustrating. I'm not saying that they really? have a right to, to, okay, win the division, but it is frustrating to look at the, the NBA. They are anything. receding. The NBA now, the division means nothing. You win the division in the NBA now, it has nothing to do with, so you with you say what you're seeing in the nothing. Do you see the baseball division means nothing? Is that what you're saying? I'm just saying other other sports. But listen, we've seen it also in the NFL where a seven and nine team has won a division, and they've hosted an eleven and five team that's won the wild card. It happens in all sports. In Seattle and Seattle beat and Seattle beat uh, New Orleans. I mean, who was the chance, right? They were coming off a championship yeah. season. I mean, so. even the year the Giants well, I mean, won the Super Bowl so in two thousand eleven, they, they were nine they and seven. And they were 9-7. and They beat an uh, 11-win Falcon team in the first round, and then they went on to their run. So it happens in all sports. Listen, but again, if I'm a Pirates fan, I understand how agonizing that must be, that you know, two out of the three years, you don't actually get to have a playoff series, and two out of the three years, you run into Madison Bumgarner, you run into Jake Arietta and your season's that's over called, and a half. That's called life of the big leagues. This isn't baseball socialism, equal opportunity for all. win a division, you have a home playoff game, and they were unlucky. They hit a few line drives that if they found holes, and they had, a, I think it was a bases loaded situation. They had, you know, maybe the result is different. area or no Arietta All right, let's take a quick break. We'll switch gears shortly. We'll do Yankees postmortem. Chris Corelli um, of SMY, uh, uh Yankees Inscripted will join us, and we'll uh, we'll chat a little with him. He was with us last week. We'll do the postmortem on the Yankees. Had a chance to listen to Girardi, listen to Cashman. He, they made some interesting comments, and we could uh, we could talk a little bit about that. We will get into the football, the picks, probably the last half hour. We're going to keep it straight with baseball, and uh, if you want, we'll uh, we'll take your calls as soon as we can. 646-716-8187. seven one six eight one eight seven. You're listening to the Weekend Watchdog. Mike Silva, Joe Bono, taking you all the way up till noon. We'll be right back.
2: It's really disappointing. It's it's hard, you know. Seasons end abruptly, and it's it's very difficult. Um, this was a club that fought all year long. And there's a lot of character in that room and this hurts and um we just didn't get it done. You know, when the season started no one thought we would be here. And I and you know, I told the guys in that room they gave me everything they had, every day. Um physically, uh it's not a very healthy group in there right now at the end of the season. Guys are beat up. Um, but they never stopped playing, they never stopped playing hard, they never stopped giving me everything they had and um Oh, I, I'm I'm extremely proud of that group in there, Joe. What did you think of the umpiring? Um, you know, hey, that's for another day.
0: All right, that is the words of Joe Girardi after the uh, Houston Astros defeated the Yankees in the one-game playoff at Yankee Stadium, three to nothing. And uh, it's now almost been, not quite a week, but, you know, quite a few days, and a uh, chance to digest, listen to the GM, listen to the manager, really look back and reflect. And one final time, uh, he's been with us at various points throughout the season. Uh, you can check him out on Twitter, at Chris underscore, underscore Corelli. Uh, you can check him out on smy.tv. He was founder of Yankees Unscripted and, and part of Fox Sports Engage Network, uh, Chris Corelli. Chris, Mike Silva, Joe Bono, um, welcome back uh, a week later. How you doing? I'm doing okay, guys. Thanks for having me again. So let's let's look at this. I'll start with this way. You know, I understand as a fan, the fans always want to go as far as they can, and if they don't end up uh, celebrating on a mound as the final team, they're going to be disappointed. But knowing the age, knowing coming into the season, this was a team that some people felt was a losing team, two straight years out of the playoffs, um, when you really peel the onion, use that old Brian Cashman quote, A lot of things in here that uh, were against the Yankees, where maybe they really weren't a playoff team in some ways. Um, What were your thoughts about the season? Did this team, you know, overachieve, underachieve, or in your opinion, were they right where they need to be?
3: Well, I mean, based on the performance that they put on the field, they ended up pretty much where they where they should have at eighty seven and seventy five but i think if you want to take a look at what people expected and myself included at the beginning of the season it was um to me it was always about um health and about how many people could really bounce back from you know pretty miserable seasons in 2014 and you know for the first half of the season uh they more or less had health i mean they missed Ells- Ellsbury for a good chunk uh but uh, to to compensate that you know they had three or four guys that were having very good bounce-back seasons, including a person who had not played in 2014 uh, in Alex Rodriguez. So I think, you know, part of the – to look at the whole season, it, it was really uh, a story of two different halves. Uh, you know, they might have overachieved as far as their production is concerned in the first half, and it, it got them a huge lead. Uh, and then people started to think, wow, they if they can continue this, you know, they're going to be hard to beat, you know, come the end of the season. And, and unfortunately, you know, a lot of those guys – Really hit the hit the skids, you know. Come August, uh, especially in September, and you know they lost to, to Sheriff for the the last you know month of the season, and it's uh, it, it just was a, a really big snowball effect in their second half. And you know I think they were maybe two games over five hundred um, after the uh, the trade deadline. So you know you're not gonna you're not gonna win a lot of uh, postseason series, uh, you know, with with that kind of showing in the second half. It doesn't happen that often anyway.
0: Chris, if I'm the Steinbrenners and I'm listening to Joe Girardi in that post-game press conference say how how little was expected of this team uh, during the year, I'm, I'm not happy with that comment. I'm probably not happy with that comment as a Yankee fan either. These are still the Yankees. We all know what their payroll is. I understand that they had some deficiencies in this roster that maybe past Yankee teams have not had, the teams that were expected to win 100 games and be in the World Series. But to say you were not expected to be in the wild-card game as the New York Yankees, I didn't didn't get that comment, and it perplexed me. I'm just wondering if it kind of struck you the same way.
3: Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure if he meant he wasn't expected, you know, or he didn't expect them to. I mean, I think if you look back at some of his other comments, you know, he he felt that, uh, you know, the team could succeed. I I do remember him saying at the beginning of the season that he felt if if the – you know though everything fell in the right place that they had a they had a playoff team and i think the bigger question was from a lot of analysts and you know experts out there and so on was that you know this this roster, um, not one built to to last long you know and and it really proved out in the end right i mean to sure end up getting hurt arod you know was nothing uh of what he was the first you know 4 months of the season 5 months of the season gardner had two completely different split halves uh, Ellsbury wasn't really that good after he came back from his injury, um, you know, and, and those were the things that I think a lot of people almost expected, you know, that they were, they've got old guys on there and they're going to falter at some point because of their age. And it's just, they're going to eventually run out of gas or just not be on the field. Um, you know, what they got out of Teixeira and Arod? rod um, shoot, even Beltran, I mean, Beltran had a very good season after May 1. I mean, and he's what, 38 years old. Um, I don't think these are things you can expect. You know, I think uh, I think it's uh, I think when he says he they exceeded expectations, I'm not so sure he meant his own expectations, but the expectations of those you know that he has to talk to on a daily basis.
0: Chris Carelli joining us here at uh, Smy TV, uh, Yankees Unscripted. Chris,
3: and listen to Cashman,
0: and of course he's going to come after the loss and and look and feel that they're in better shape going into next year than prior years. And I think with some of the prospects, you certainly have to feel that way. But it's going to be hard for me to think with the contracts you have in place and the issues with age that you brought up. I mean, Arod's going to be 40. Beltron's going to be 39. Um, you know, Gardner and Ellsbury at times look very old, 31 years old. I mean, Ellsbury, I think that contract's going to be a big albatross. You're hearing Joel Sherman in the New York Post say they're not really looking to go out and spend money. At the top tier of the free agent market, um, I understand if Teixeira declined, you have Bird, but let's see Bird over the course of more than 178 plate appearances. McCann is a catcher, you know, north of 30. You know how that goes. I don't know if you could expect this team next year to be, you know, exponentially better, unless some of those top prospects, the kids, the judges, you know, you know, Warren goes in the rotation and jumps up. Um, I don't know. I mean, there's things to be excited about, but there's a lot of reasons to not feel that they're any better than they were this year.
3: Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. Uh, I wrote the other day, in fact, that, you know, in kind of going through their season, that they really didn't answer um, any questions other than they could – uh succeed some with the current roster that they have and you know almost all those people are coming back next year you know there there isn't any big big contract being lifted um there's no um no answer at second base really i mean they're still gonna have the same problem they had coming into 2015 at second who's going to play it um and why are they going to be playing it and is there going to be two people playing it um you know they they We'll need to find a way to get Bird into the lineup. I would, I would think, but where? You know, uh, Tashera's got uh, final season there. I mean, yeah, sure, he, he's going to need his rest. Uh, Rodriguez obviously Chris, this could is use like a Tome.
0: This is like a Tome Ryan Howard scenario almost. If you think about it, yeah, it, it's it's.
3: Uh, it, and, and I think Joe touched on it a little bit that you know he knows that he needs to get Tashera and A Rod even more time than he did give them this season, um, and and at at some points. Uh, even in the first four months, I, I would say, uh, it did help Rodriguez a lot. If he took a couple days off when he, when he was forced to for NL series and so on, he came back. He came back pretty strong and, and energized. Um, so he might need to do that a little bit more. Um, but, you know, Beltran's going to need some of those at-bats too, right, as a DH. He can't play the field every day. Um, I mean, he's 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 awful in right field. Um, you know, he once was a very good outfielder. He's not anymore. He's more or less a statue there great hitter still um you know competent with his bat but you know i, I see him needing time as a dh as well so you know you, to me I, I i'm still split on where bird starts the season next year um and i think it's going to really all depend on how healthy everybody else is as to how many how many plate appearances he ends up getting uh in 2016 but beyond that you know the rotation has questions is cc coming back it's uh you know can severino pitch you know as well as he did in his uh his cameo for a full season. Um, what about Ivaldi? You know, it was, was his second half before he got hurt, you know, a fluke or was is he more like the pitcher in the first, you know, the first half? Uh, there, there is a ton of questions, uh, and they're almost exactly the same ones he had coming into the season. So, uh, unless their off season is um, one in which they find some trades to turn over some people, or they do make, you know, an investment in another free agent, um, if they come back with a, you know, 90% of the same people you know i i don't see them exponentially you know growing uh, from one year to the next i do see that in a couple of years but hey who knows what happens with half these guys uh, you know as far as prospects are, are concerned as well chris the one
0: area where i think when you look at free agency for the yankees that if they're going to spend their money people know where they're going to spend it it's going to be in starting pitching and you have you know david price is a free agent Zach Grenke, who the mets will see later on tonight as a free agent Jeff marge is a free agent um do you see them being all in on one of these guys and and which one do you have an early preference as to where or guess where they would spend uh their money to try to get another starting pitcher in here
3: Sheesh. uh i you know i don't know i my my thought process with with their pitching is um that I believe it's um i believe it's good enough to keep them in the same position that they were last year i don't see them spending on that the marquee names, you know, Price and Greinke. I don't. I just don't. I don't see it. Uh, I think they're skittish about these kinds of contracts now. Um, and that, that said, I also don't believe unless they get him for a very, very bargain basement price that Samarj is the answer. He's going to eat a lot of innings, um, but I'm not so sure. I'm not sure which pitcher he is. You know, is he the guy that pitched uh, pretty well leading up to the season, or is he the guy that you know they, that was fairly awful uh, in the second half of, uh, of this year? Um, I, I have a feeling with, with that. They, the, you mentioned, uh, Adam Warren earlier. I re- really think that they need to figure out what he is, you know, is he a starter? Is he a, is he a reliever? Um, and then once they figure that out, um, I, I believe they have enough pieces and in, in depth, uh, to, to succeed with who they have. Um, that said, I, you know, who knows? I, I don't, I don't, uh, expect them to spend a lot of money on pitching but I guarantee they'll get some some sort of person for a, you know pitcher for, for depth purposes. I, I don't see them signing anybody, you know, to a huge two hundred million plus contract, three hundred million contract. We can
0: we can watch dogs, Joe Bono, Mike Silva. Chris Corelli is our guest. Follow him on Twitter at Chris underscore Corelli. Yankees unscripted S N Y dot T V, their Yankees coverage. You know, we talked about some of the players that kind of faded towards the end of the season, that they were, they were what they were in the start of the season. But, you know, one player that kind of came on, and if you're a Yankee fan, there was a lot of apprehension about at the start of the year, but you probably feel good about moving on to 2016 and beyond, is D.D. Gregorius. Just talk about his season as a whole, because where he ended up and where he was, I mean, he kind of did a complete
3: 180 uh, in season this year. Oh yeah, it was it was fairly dramatic. I mean, he came in and you could see I think um the stage may have uh you know gotten in his way. Uh the, in the beginning of the season, he was making, you know, base running errors. Uh he was not looking nearly as good as expected in the field, and he, he I mean he couldn't hit anything. Um but I think once he once he got a little bit more acclimated with playing uh in New York and and started to relax a bit, and and these are more or less his words too. Um it seemed that he concentrated on just, you know, the game and what's in front of him and take it, you know, day by day. And when he did that, the the, the glove work and, and the incredible army has a shortstop really started to show. Um, and, and once I think he felt comfortable out on the field uh, playing defense, then he was able to concentrate a little bit more on, on his bat. And, you know, at, at the beginning of the year, you could see if you looked back at some of his minor league Statistics and, and even some of his time uh, in Arizona, he had a little bit of upside. I mean, he's not going to be uh, Troy Tulowitzki or, or, or anything like that by any stretch, but he's he's possibly going to be a guy who can do what he did in the second half. You know, he can hit the 270s. He can, you know, show some pop every once in a while and, and be a, and be a pretty good hitter. And, and these days, at shortstop, you really concentrate on defense and and get anything like that kind of production. Um, at the plate, it's it's pretty much a bonus, and the, and he's young. I, I I still believe this was his first full season, um. I, so I believe that there's still a chance that he gets better at the plate, and I don't see his defense, you know, declining anytime soon. He's he's really too young for that. So you know, I think it's a uh, it's a good thing for the Yankees. They've got a a solid um, you know, a solid person in in place at a very important position for the next few years.
0: Chris, on, on improving the team, here's the direction, just reading the tea leaves here, that I think that these guys may go. You hear Cashman talk about how important Zobris would have been. Price was too high. They wanted Adam Warren. They wanted Rob Refsnyder. Maybe there's a guy that you could bring in as a free agent at a reasonable price. Maybe Martin Prado. Uh, I know that they love him and they didn't want to give him up, but they got to get Ovaldi. Maybe Miami, with their shakeup, um, does another rebuild, dumps some off. I, I don't know what... What's going to happen there? There's a lot of talk about improving the bench to spell the older players. Like you know, he's even putting it sounded like Ellsbury and Gardner into that equation, so that you get better performance later in the year. Maybe the big move is going after a Craig Kimbrel or an Errolis Chapman. I don't know if that's realistic, but that was something they tried to do with the trade deadline. You beef up the bullpen with a stud closer to a team with Betances and Miller. Uh, you stick with the uh, the pitchers that you got now and hope they get better and navigate six innings, and then you fill in with a Zobrist or some bench players that are complementary players, and you go to war with that. Now that's not ex- sexy. That's not exciting. That's not what the Yankees fan is used to post 2000. But they only have one World Series post 2000. Is that enough in your eyes to you to get excited about this team going into next year? Or, you know, there was a certain amount of apathy. We talked about it about these guys, you know, throughout the season.
3: Yeah. You, for me, personally, um, I'm I'm good with the, the way that you just, you know, unfolded that. I mean, I think that um, with their current commitments, I don't know that they can get be lavish at this point you know. in a couple of years will they be able to dive back into the free agent market heavily yeah i would i would guess so and and if uh, things continue on the path that they are i would assume so um but you know signing a utility type person who can play multiple positions like zolbrist you mentioned um makes all the sense in the world and he's he's their type of hitter too you know he tries to get on base and he's uh you know he's he, he's a good at moving runners and, and he's just a he's a good baseball guy right so it, that kind of assigning to me uh does make sense and and now he's only going to cost you the cash right versus the prospects that people wanted for him for the two year or two month rental um you now the the as far as getting another top notch reliever i you know i I thought it was a great idea at the trade deadline, and you know I'm kind of surprised that they didn't pull the trigger um you know I don't know Mateo that well other than what I've read about him um and, and that was the top prospect that I apparently uh, was supposed to go in a, a proposed deal to uh for Kimbrell. but um you know maybe they maybe they look at that a little bit deeper this off season and see if they can you know work that work that back into into the fold but you know it's it's the way of the uh of the new uh game right you know let's get six innings out of our rotation and you know have a lockdown bullpen and the Yankees tried to do that this year with Wilson and Batantis and Miller. And, and I think um, part of the problem was they didn't have a fourth guy. And you really need somebody else who's going to be able to take up some of those those extra innings on occasion that you trust. And Girardi just never seemed to show any trust. um I should say, Jason Sarive got some got some of that time up until September, and then he just completely imploded. But you need somebody that, you know that's going to take that role where, you know, when Batantis and, and Miller work um, consecutive days that they've got another arm uh lefty or right, it doesn't really matter who can shut down the other team. You know, it's it's uh it's the way of the, of how it's how teams are built right now, you know, good teams. And uh bullpen's very, very important. So I, I wouldn't doubt that. And that kind of a that kind of a monetary layout is not going to uh crush them like a, you know, eight to ten year uh term with, with one of these uh pitchers that are coming out this, this uh this off season would.
0: Chris? Thanks for uh, being a b- good sport coming on. I know every time you come on the show, there's a foreshadowing of bad things to happen to the Yankees. Here's the good news. You've got a whole off season ahead of you, so nothing bad can happen at least uh, in the next uh, seven to ten days. So, hey, well, uh, we appreciate all the contributions throughout the season. We, we enjoy your work. Uh, we'll do it again. I'm sure we'll catch up with you throughout the hot stove. And uh, be well, my friend, all right?
3: All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Uh, it's always a pleasure being on. Thanks again.
0: Thanks, Chris. All right.
3: Chris, Carruth. take
0: care. Uh, Chris, underscore Corelli on Twitter, uh, Yankees on script at SMY.tv. And he helped us out a lot this year. You know, It's not easy you know, getting uh, Yankee contributors to come on with Mike Silva. So Chris Corelli, has- <laughs> <laughs> he likes you for some reason. Well, because he knows that I speak the truth. So, all right, let's take a quick break. We'll talk more baseball at the top of the hour. We'll take your call, 646-716-8187. Let's keep it to baseball until about 20 after maybe halfway through the hour. We'll, we'll transition. We'll give Joe his 37 seconds on the Barclays Center because I know he's chomping at the bit. We'll get into the jumping. Giants in Week 5, our NFL picks. Maybe, maybe we'll have some time to talk about the uh, hot preseason start of the New York Knicks. Maybe get some positive energy going about the basketball uh, the, team. And the, the triangle offense or the love triangle? Which one are we going to be talking about? Well, we talk about both if you want. But anyway, you're listening to The Weekend Watchdogs. Mike Silva, Joe Bono, taking you all the way up till noon. Listen to the show live on replay at weekendwatchdogs.com. Go to our Facebook page, The Weekend Watchdogs Facebook page, or check us out on iTunes. We'll be right back. A disagreement between The Weekend Watchdogs starts with a growl. <sighs> money does not matter to them it doesn't matter if these guys have diminished returns at the end of the contract they will sure. spend more yeah but you can build a 25 man roster with the way that the the salaries are going leads to a bark. So <laughs> the New York Yankees are going to go out and sign and make Do a big splash. More. They did, That's they're done. and They're not go. done this offseason. And ends with a bite. <laughs> they can't implement or supplement anybody. Last year's a can't with their dollars. You just can't build a team like that. They are building a team like no, that. No, they're going to fall short because they're not going to be able to fill their second base spot, their third base spot. Tune in to the Weekend Watchdog Saturday ten to noon
1: on Blog Talk Radio. It's the Weekend Watchdogs with Mike Silva and Joe Bono.
0: Mike Silva, Joe Bono, Weekend Watchdogs, the baseball centric Weekend Watchdogs. It's been a while since Joe and I, on October the 10th, are basically going to spend 75% of the show talking baseball and important baseball, not controversial baseball or hot stove baseball or 80-rod baseball, but really good uh, uh, postseason baseball. Uh, A couple of things, Joe, we didn't address in the first hour. I want to start off with um, the first one. And I've been a critic of his, and I do not believe you should overpay to keep him. But Daniel Murphy's making a really good statement and making the decision to resign him a lot harder than I thought it would be you got to be careful. He's 30 years old. And the problem with Murphy is that he's so limited on multiple facets. But when you watch him every day, you come to appreciate some of the things he does. And I'll tell you what, he's not great with the media. In any media guy, I'll tell you, he's not the, the warmest and fuzziest guy. I don't know if that has anything to do with So What I like about him, he's very quick to always give credit to his teammates. He, he deflects yes. every interview to someone else, and from that part, um, I, I right. do appreciate how he... But does, I know he does not uh, his, uh, his a, is... an easy media guy to deal with, I can tell you that um, for sure. You look at him, he doesn't walk a lot. He certainly makes contact, because he only struck out 38 times this year. He's starting to develop sneaky power. Maybe you could say 20-home run power. Um, you know, he doesn't play good defense. He has terrible baseball instincts on the base path. He makes so many dopey errors. But he can play multiple positions... He seems to fit in well as a complementary player in the lineup. Here's the problem, Joe. Could you pay him $10 million a year, four years, $10 million for that for, bring, for bringing that to the table? Knowing that with some of the offense that you'd give up on him, and maybe you give the position to Daniel, uh, to Daniel Dilson Herrera, who who knows, who has potential, but we don't know what you're going to get out of him, you're going to probably make up a lot of that with Conforto, who had, in a short sample, I have to say the same thing about him that I said about Greg Bird to Corelli, Let's see him do it over 500 at bats. But, you know, it's a difficult decision. And I'll tell you what about Murphy. And I've said this for many, many years. And nobody talks about it. And you saw it in the ninth inning yesterday with the Jimmy Rollins ground ball. He does not play a bad first base. Yeah. Even going back to when he first was over there before the Ike, due to controversy, when he first hurt, you know, after he came back and hurt himself, they were going to put him over there. He never plays a bad first base. He doesn't have enough power for the position. But if you're an American League team or you're a team, you throw them at you know first what base. Now a team could use them? The Yankees. Yankees. Right. I could see that happening. The Yankees, absolutely. Here's why the Mets might rethink the investment. Now, I know that all the resources will go to assuming. I know we're doing things that we shouldn't be talking about. We should be talking about the game tonight, but it's just it's part of you know the appreciation of Daniel Murphy conversation. All the resources will go assume, assuming that you're going to go after and try to retain Cespedes. So I don't know if you have the $10 million I think it'll take to to actually keep him. But knowing that Wright's injury is not going to get better, knowing that Duda could get hurt or go into lulls, knowing that you you know, you know have a kid that's going to be at second base and you have a kid in left field in Comforto who, who knows how the sophomore jinx goes, you may be forced to say, hey, if rate goes down for an extended period, why wouldn't I want Daniel Murphy? Because the alternative is, I mean, you could get a, a veteran like Juan Uribe. Juan Uribe is not going to be a good everyday player. He's a backup. Kelly Johnson's a backup. You want those guys in short samples. Murphy's a large sample guy. So, but I agree with you. I think the Yankees. If I'm the Yankees, that's a guy that would. I he would hit 25 home runs at Yankee Stadium. He's going to get some of the ones that are fly balls. He's going to get some. He would hit twenty five home runs because he would just probably be a little bit on the high end. A little bit on the high end, but at least twenty more power numbers. And listen, the Mets this season, his value to the Mets was shown more than any previous season because of the injury to Wright, uh, because of the time Duda had missed, um, the fact that he could play second, first, third. There aren't a lot of guys out there that can do that, and he does make you have these head. He does have these head scratching moments. Uh, especially on the base pass, and then he tries to make some defensive plays that he shouldn't try to make. Um, but the fact that he was able, that, that Terry Collins has the option late in the game to sub out Lucas Duda, put him in there at first base, that maybe some people will go, hmm, why would you take out your best defensive first baseman in a close game? And now what? He makes a diving stop, which I don't know that Lucas Duda makes um, there oh, no, for right. the second out of the ninth inning. And that's so, a big, it's gonna and be that's interesting. A, you know, you're so, listen, you get Jimmy Rollins on. It could be a little different. You can't make a four-year commitment at $48, $50 million, I think, um, based on his value here in the last two months. You just can't because Cespedes means more to this team there. So if you're going to use allocated funds, that's where you want to go. There's probably some other holes this team is going to have to fill as well, bullpen-wise especially. And you do have someone there in Herrera that they like a lot. And you also have Luma Flores still on the roster, too, that can play second base. As well, so there are, when you have when you couple the fact that there are other options there, it makes it difficult uh if you're the Mets um, front office to invest the money in that spot as much as I think i'll miss him. I think a lot of Mets fans will miss him because this guy has been you know for, for, you know for all intents and purposes he's been here since two thousand eight uh was part right. of that second collapse. And been through a lot. Was an all-star. a lot. He started left field. You know, Johan Santana in that moment in, in, in Florida. Uh, tried him at third. Tried him at second. And all that whole uh, experiment. And then he finally found a spot and was in an all-star game last season. So, it's been a, it's been a long winding career for a Murphy. Michael Cuddyer could play like he's on skates in the outfield. But he'll never be as bad as Daniel Murphy was like no. in left field. Or Todd Hunt. Although, I think Murphy has progressively first. worked. Hunley was this. worse than Murphy. I haven't. Hundley was pretty bad. Um, I've seen bad routes to balls in the outfield. That was, if I didn't know any better with Michael Kadire on the first bad route to the ball, actually both, I would have thought the Mets put one of the fantasy camp players that they have in Port St. Lucie out of the outfield. That was like yeah. an old man softball league play. People are like, people, throughout the season, people have gone to, who is this guy? I'm like, Michael Kodai goes, yeah, he he's got white hair. I'm like, yeah, he's like 36, 37, And he was a good, so he's a good old. play. He's had a good career, and he's somebody that actually really a couple of years ago I advocated the the Yankees to sign because, you know, he hit lefties well, and he, he played well in Colorado. Most people play well defensively in Colorado. Here's another thing. I remember, and I didn't really like – I'll go back. I'll rewind to when the Yankees acquired Curtis Granderson. And I had Lynn Henning of the Detroit News on my podcast. And Lynn Henning loved the guy and compared him and said he can be um, like Bernie Williams, how Bernie Williams was for the Yankees for all those years. And I thought about it, and then he came, and he offensively he was a 40-home run guy, fit into that lineup. What I didn't like about Curtis Granderson when he, came, when he was acquired is that he was so bad against left-handers that I said, you're basically getting a platoon player giving up uh, you know uh, talent for a guy that's a platoon player. At that time, you had Austin Jackson, who had some potential uh, that that, that a lot of people felt was, um, you know, Max Scherzer I know was part of that deal and what have you. And I didn't like him, but I looked at him this year, and I think in the role that he's in as a top-of-the-order guy that works the count, gets on base, pops you a home run. I mean, you look at the final numbers, 91 walks, 26 homers, 98 runs, an 821 OPS. Outstanding. Outstanding. The outfield play is in right field. It's okay. It's fine. It's okay. It's not an easy right field at city Field. It's not an easy right field at center in City Field. And also, listen, everyone was like, who's your leadoff hitter, Terry? Who's your leadoff hitter? Sandy, who's your leadoff hitter? And then they said Curtis Granderson. Everyone was like, well, this ain't going to work. And know what? He was incredibly effective as the leadoff hitter, not only with the power numbers that he was able to provide from it, but like you mentioned, the walks. And you know, my criticism of the of the Granderson signing was that I felt, well, this guy's not gonna hit for average. And his power numbers are gonna go down. Um, but he's done other things to make himself um and then and that's been true. You know, he has I mean him hitting two sixty right. is a really good average season for him, but the power numbers are good enough. Twenty five home runs is good enough from the money that you gave him last year. It's not gonna be thirty five, it's not gonna be forty. Um, but 250, 25 home runs, and the walks, and the leadership, and all that kind of character stuff that he brings, um, I'm, I'm kind of proven wrong by that. You know, that $15 million a year contract, four years, not looking a too lot, bad. But I'm glad he's going to be on this team. Not, for two not looking years. too bad. And I wasn't crazy about it either, but it's not looking too bad. And I'll tell you what, the Yankees might be better off with him than they would be with uh, Beltron going into next year. Here's something else to think about with the Mets. And I don't want to throw bouquets after just one NLDS win, there's a lot of work to be done. and you know, we could be sitting here next week doing a Mets post war just as easily as talking about the NLCS. But this team I don't think is going to be phased by the challenge in front of them because so many of these players have been through so much over the past seven, eight years. Remember, these aren't mercenaries been brought in from other organizations for the most part. Cespedes is one of the rare exceptions. You've got guys like Duda. He had to fight and claw. I mean he was he was on the way out. You know, it didn't look like anybody wanted him, myself included. Daniel Murphy's been through a lot. Wilma well, Flores, we know what he's been through this year. Um, David Wright, you know, as much as he's the golden child with this team, it hasn't been an easy uh, haul for him. Um, you know, guys even like Tejada, I mean, you know, being accused of being fat and out of shape. The Tommy John surgeries of the Grom, and, and, you know, Syndergaard has had to fight his way, even though he's had great prospect status to, to make it here. Uh, familiar wasn't, you know, a guarantee. Everybody seems to have to had to overcome adversity. And let's face it, Joe, if you've been watching the Mets, and most of these guys have been with the organization, even if it's in the minor league since like 2007, 2006, 2008, this has been a tough place to play. There's been a lot of negativity. The fans are harsh. I'm a perfect example of that. The manager has been under constant fire. It hasn't been a joyride. So when you think about all the things that, whether it's at the minor league level or the major league level, that these guys have been through, you think that they're going to be phased by some rowdy, drunken gang banger fans in L.A.? Because that's a rowdy place, L.A. People don't realize Dodger Stadium is a tough place to play for a visiting. Uh, and they were loud play. early last night. For a, for a game that started before 7 o'clock local time, they that were in their seats early. Mm-hmm. Right. They usually come late. They, you know, everybody knows in the reputation. L.A., stars, soft. We didn't see any stars. You know, TBS didn't pan. I know that Fox, that's their gig. There wasn't any... Was there any celebrities? Was it, was it Larry David sign? sign uh, I mean, Scott Boris was the only celebrity that we heard from. They just kept on uh, showing those very privileged children uh, <laughs> <laughs> that were probably... That the sitting, uh, Very, very oh, close. Yeah, Yeah, that was not Now, one final component of this Met series that would be interesting to see. So Boris is the celebrity that everybody talked about uh, yesterday. and He made his... As Boris always liked to take uh, a certain... A shot across the bow, a missive about you know Matt Harvey giving up his arm and and Boris is unhappy because Boris is being told we're doing this. one thing I like about Sandy Alderson he 's a stubborn you know what, but he 's not going to let an agent tell him what to do, and Boris doesn 't like that because he 's been basically running the watch the Nationals for all these years. It was up to Boris, Matt Harvey would be home sitting home watching the game and eating popcorn. He 'd forget that he works for Matt Harvey not the other way around now, let me get your take, Joe. I think Mondays start regardless of what happens tonight is so important to Matt Harvey because the hype, the dark night, the shutting down and not shutting down the Boris comments shows up late to the um to the workout, which I think was a, a totally overblown scenario, although it shows where Harvey's head is. A lot of people said that he was watching the Rangers practice or something like that. And um he's now become the A Rod Firecracker that Arod was, he goes out there on Monday, and gives up four or five runs in four innings, and they're going to the bullpen early, and the Mets either don't clinch or they fall behind two games to one. There's going to be a lot of outcry. There's a lot of fans that want him traded, and I think you got to be careful about that. You know, you could always not. Nobody's untouchable. You always think you always explore a dialogue. It doesn't hurt having dialogue and discussion with other teams on any player because you never know what a team's going to offer, but. I think Monday's pretty important. The fans are not gonna have a tolerance for this. The the the, the 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 shine is off the the bloom is off the rose with the dark night of Gotham. I think Monday's important. And he doesn't come through, I think he's know there's it's, be a uh, loud outcome. Trying to I'm trying to come up with an analogy for like Harvey's relationship right now with the fan base because he was like, you know, the hot girl that you wanted everyone wanted to date uh, you know, all throughout two thousand twelve and two thousand thirteen. And uh now you're like, eh, you know, she's not that she's not that great. She's got a bad personality, <laughs> you, could... <laughs> you know, she's kinda of nasty, she's entitled, yep. high maintenance, like yes. you know, yeah, yes. we've all kind of dated her, but I'd rather this you know, this other girl, you know, she's got right. long permy hair, uh, you know, Jacob well, DeGrom. Party. You know, yep. he's just really sweet and goes about her business, and is appreciative and understands where she, where where she is at the moment, and not too a bit not too right. big of an ego, and and that's kind of the relationship. It's like, hey, we have all these other hot girls now. Wait a second, you're not just the only hot girl at the school. We got Degrom, we got Cindergar, we have Matt, we got Zach Wheeler coming coming back who calls up Sandra Alderson and says, I want to be a Met. But the ups and downs with Harvey are fascinating. From the all the offseason, all the work he did to get back and get back in the type of shape he was. And let's not underestimate that, that Harvey has pitched better Absolutely. than people have expected uh, for the Absolutely. first year coming off of Tommy Jern. That's number one. Then you had the whole debacle with Forrest and 180 innings and what Harvey's subsequent comments were, and then he releases the statement through the Players' Tribune. But then, you know, after pitching that clinching game in Cincinnati and being really emotional in the post game. You know, talking about how badly he wanted to be on the mound for these guys and nowhere else <laughs> nowhere else he wants to be to then what happened at the workout. And it's just back-and-forth drama right. all the time. Now, listen, when, when the situation happened in Washington and then he took the mound, he got bombed that night. Got bombed. And the Mets came back with a huge comeback and maybe the best game of the year. Um, and he's That's a last really well down down the last big start he had. You're right. Was, he didn't come up big in that start at all. He didn't come up big yeah, in that start at all. Mm-hmm. But he pitched great since, and he had a great start on his last one. And um, we'll see if he does it again. But you're right. It could it could turn badly for him if the Mets lose tonight. And then game three, especially going under Brett Anderson, he gets knocked off the mound. you know, And Bartolo Colon's uh, taking his spot in the fourth inning. There are some fans, I think, that would like to see. I think they have to realize, Bartolo Colon, and I'm all about gut and guile and crafty veterans and things like that, but You've got to be careful with Bartolo Cologne. He's a, very, he's a guy that things could go south very, very quickly. By the way, the number is 646-716-8187. Give us a call if you want to talk about if you're, if you're up, if you're not uh, recovering from a late night, if you're a Mets fan, if you're a Yankees fan, you probably have already moved on to the NFL and uh, maybe the NBA. Maybe, maybe you were at the Barclays Center last night to watch what some people are telling me is history. So anyway, let's take a quick break. And what I did, I promised, I said to Joe that we'd give him a few minutes. We'll talk about the Barclays Center. We'll give him a chance to get all his anger out. As I pointed out, Joe now is the leader of the Islanders fan club. So, you know, he has some influence. We're in the the presence of a celebrity. So we got to give him his due. So let's take a quick break. We'll return. You want to give us a call. We'll get into a little NFL in a little bit. We'll still talk baseball, I'm sure. And uh, we'll take you all the way up to noon and uh, have a lot of fun. We'll be right back. Super Bowl champion Giants running back Joe Morris joined the weekend watchdogs. You guys practiced the flea flicker all year long, yet the entire team, all 11 members of the offense, were shocked. And Bill Parcells actually called for it and actually had to look over to the sidelines because you guys didn't believe that that was really the play.
4: (laughs) (laughs) We worked on that play every week. No, i got to admit, there are times that we didn't, you know, sometimes I'd miss the pit, sometimes Phil would miss the guy and whatever. And we, we screwed up a couple of times, but he, we worked on it every week.
2: We never
4: called that play. I brought the play in from the sidelines. I was on the sidelines to the play before, came off to the sideline, and I told Phil what the play was. He stepped out of the to take a look at Parcells to make sure, you sure you want this play? And here's Parcells <laughs> going, go, run the fricking play. I, I send it in, you run this play. He throws this play, and I'm thinking, oh, my God, he did actually to it.
0: And it was completed and it
4: it's complexity Complex on again
0: it's the weekend watchdogs every saturday
1: 10 to noon on blog talk radio it's the weekend watchdogs with mike Sova and joe bono <coughs>
0: Mike still the jump on, and we can watch both world we the, the, the moon on this uh, all Saturday. This hours uh, after Game One of the Hours almost two. Hope you're doing well. If you listen to this live on replay, thanks for listening. And uh, you know he's been chomping at the bit. Now here it is, uh, the midst of the baseball playoffs. Plenty of things to talk about. Yankees post postmortem. Giants have a big game against the 49ers here in Week Five. The Jets, who we won't even probably get to today. You know, basically laid a smackdown on the Dolphins in London and looked to be maybe, dare we say, an AFC contender. And Joe Bono wants to talk about all the grievances he has against the Barclays Center and Brett Yarmark and the New York Bar- the New York Islanders. Which, may I add, for those who listen religiously every week, everything that's happening I predicted well in advance. So maybe if my esteemed partner listened once in a while instead of get caught up in his world of narratives, he wouldn't be disappointed. He'd be ready for this, but he didn't because Joe is the eternal optimist and maybe a little pie in the sky at times. So, Joe, what exactly, other than the fact that you have black jerseys, that your mark basically wants to rip down and never acknowledge the Islanders ever existed before this year on Long Island, um, what exactly are the reasons that – All right, so there's a few have? things. There's a few things, and they don't have anything to do with obstructed seats. I think everyone knows what that's going to be. It um, has nothing to do with commutes. I feel I feel awful for the people that have to come from the island, you know. And then last yes. night, again, they tell everyone to be in their seats at 7.15 uh, for a special ceremony, which was one of the most poorly run ceremonies I had ever seen live, uh, where everyone was expecting this tribute to Al Arbor. It ended up being a 40-second video that you couldn't even hear if you were in the 200 sections, which was a problem all night long. They announce the national anthem first, so the color guard comes out, and they just run the video. Color guard is just standing there. No one knows what's going on, and then Alexa Ray Joel sings a three-minute version of the national anthem. But it doesn't do anything with that. Tickets. I went on Ticketmaster, right, because people were seeing the StubHub prices drop down dramatically for this game. So I went on Ticketmaster, and I said, I've been getting emails from the Islanders all week long about tickets for the home opener. Let's see what's available. Because now with Ticketmaster, you can see the little blue dots, the little blue dots, Mike. You can see, like, what exactly seats are available and what prices. And there were so many tickets available, I could not I believe that. it. And it wasn't even, including, wasn't even including the StubHub tickets. And the reason why they were available is because they're doing this dynamic pricing now which is an algorithm that a computer spits out and says, oh, you're playing the Blackhawks on a Friday night and it's the home opener? Oh, that ticket that would be $40 is going to be $120. And to try the, the charging New York City prices to a fan base that's not used to New York City prices. And so you have, well, you're well, trying Island's to bring cheap. in new fans. Well, I, I know, Island's but not you're trying to bring Islanders in new fans. Cool. You're trying to bring in new fans who don't have an attachment to the product and trying to get them to spend money, and then you're alienating the fans that want to come because you're outpricing them. Anyway, there were pockets, and I, and I tweeted out photos of it, there were pockets of full sections that were empty last night. Right, for a home opener, first game okay. ever at the Barclays Center. For so the first game ever, this is three years in the making right there was one section down low by that corner which is a tough view which was pretty much open there were seats in the right behind the glass right behind the penalty boxes that were open rows and rows and rows after the game what do they say sell out crowd ah okay 15,700 great your, that your mark. your mark so much. mike they ran out of food and beer <laughs> in between yeah. the second and third period People were complaining. Could about Do you imagine that, if too. this was the, did the you train? This was the Mets? The tra- yeah, Mike, the train that was supposed to leave 20 minutes after the game apparently didn't leave until 35 minutes after the game for people. Well, that's they around told around a to be that in your seat. They told you to be in your seat for a ceremony at 7:15, which didn't start until 7:30. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. And those have nothing to do with marketing or strategy or anything. You have now been in big-time sports business for three years, and you can't get the audio to be right so people could hear what's going on in the upper bowl? You don't have enough food to, to, to get the opening night crowd? You're lying about ticket sales? This is game one. The ice was horrible. They asked the Islander players about it, and one said to Arthur Staple, it was awful, the ice conditions, how slow and slushy it got. This is an absolute debacle right now, and they exactly. got to get their act together quickly. I want this to work out. I got back and forth, Barclay Center, in 15 minutes. I have season tickets for the season. I want this to be successful, but they are making it very, very difficult right now. They have a truck, a truck, a Honda truck behind the glass, that's in full view throughout the game. Are you freaking kidding me? Is that for a promotion? Well, Honda What's is like, that you've the Honda Club and everything, and I guess they were like, well, you we know, can't put seats there, so let's put a truck that's in view all you the know. time. The camera on TV have people walking there. in front of you on TV. They sold tickets. At a high price, the people, when they finally got to their seats, they later installed cameras in front of that individual. That the person has now a camera in front of them at Center Ice. Unreal. Uh, you know what? Get your act together, seriously. They're not their act You can't together. do anything. You can't do anything about the seats. The seats are what they are. The views, what they are. We know they made the mistake of not having it be a dual-purpose arena from the start. We get that. Okay, right. And the commute, it's going to be hard, it's going to be difficult, it's going to be challenging, it is what it is, it'll get better. But from a game day operation standpoint, they should be embarrassed of themselves. Embarrassed. You want to call yourself Madison Square Garden? You want to be put in the same light as Madison no Square way. Garden? Say what, I no go to a way. preseason game at Madison Square Garden, right? and they had a brand new renovation, a lot of changes there. That's an A-plus operation. That was minor yeah. league what I, I was watching last night. Minor league, no. the new in-game host. How about Ice Girls, there. Mike? The Ice Girls that they disbanded, the new crew they brought out got booed every single time they came out. Can I ask this you is a what jump. was the uh, what was the demographic makeup of the new uh, Ice Girls? No, it's a lot of the same ones, but they also have guys. It's co-ed, and they have them in jump shoots. So instead oh. of them being like, instead, oh. instead of them being like a fun, really like to, thing that other teams have ice. had. And it's fun, and then they're interactive, and they're in the crowd, and they take pictures with people, and they're with the mascot, and they do promotional stuff. You have them as little, literally looking like garbage men, dressed from head to hoe in black jumpsuits. I'm actually enjoying this because, once again, you know, see, the problem with Joe and a lot of people who follow me on Twitter and listen to the show is, you guys, I tried to help you. When I told Yankees fans that their team was old and would break down, everybody got angry at me. Exactly what happened, Okay. When I've warned Mets fans about Terry Collins, I hope I'm wrong because sometimes I am wrong. But I have a feeling Terry's going to botch something in this playoff. I've been warning them since 2013. I told Joe Bono the last couple of years this Park Brooklyn thing is, is garbage. It's a brand that's been uh, it's a Jay Z generated brand, and um, it's not really going to have the uh, uh, play that everybody thinks. You know, as someone who grew up in the old Brooklyn, you know they're trying to make Brooklyn into something that it's not. And, um, you know, great, It's a, from a business standpoint, I know it's a, a borough that's just bursting, but from a sports standpoint, I just don't see how New York needs another team. You know, they have the next. Am laugh? Okay? They have the Rangers. Just got, the Islanders were cool because they're on Long Island, because Long Island is an entity on itself. Now that they're part of Brooklyn, they don't really need the Islanders anymore. They have the Rangers. Okay? They have the next. just Mechon got Rangers an email. Yep. As, so as would what was is Br- no, mark listening to the program. Oh, as I was ranting, I an email from Barclay Center, subject, how did we do? Oh, let me tell you. How did we do? I should just send them, did I just make the MP3 the file and send this back over to them. And then he's you on should. MSNBC during the day. He goes on all these TV shows, you know, holding the black jersey. And, you know, again with the, you know, since the Brooklyn Nets came to the borough three years ago, the... Mm-hmm. Colors black and white have been adopted by the borough as the official colors of the borough of Brooklyn. Shut up. That's not the Jay-Z. That's a Jay-Z thing. That's a Jay-Z. That's a ghetto Jay-Z thing. What What this guy does not understand is that hockey fans are not fair weather fans. They're not the basketball fan. We talked about this last time. You're not going to get someone to just come in and razzle-dazzle them like, you know, um, the movie Chicago. You know, razzle-dazzle them. Give them everything else around them, and they're not going to concentrate on the product. No. What's right. going to get people in the building is the product, is the fans, is the personality of the hockey team, and if they win. Okay? So why don't you educate people about hockey, get them in the building, they'll get educate sold on the product, and, and then they'll pay, and then they'll pay the prices you want them to pay. Then, though, you know, I got two Havana Cuban sandwiches and two drinks, $43 last night. You know, they'll pay that. Well, why are you buying that garbage? Do you really need to have a Havana Cuban sandwich? See, this is why you need to be like You know what I had last night? I went to my – here's the best part about my night. I came home. I went. I got my uh, turkey and, and American cheese sandwich with mayonnaise. I had my macaroni salad. I had a snack with it. I got to watch Shark Tank for a little bit. I got to watch the Knicks preseason game for a little bit. It turned on the Dodgers-Mets game. Struggled with the help of some coffee. Maxwell House carry cups, which I'm not really crazy about the Maxwell House carry cups, but needed something a little, little, you know, good to the last drop feeling. Is that the uh, the moniker or the slogan for uh, Maxwell House? I stayed up. I didn't have to worry about parking. I fell asleep. I was able to get a full eight hours of sleep and do this show. You had all these stresses. My night was stress-free. You know, I watched the game, a little bit of stress post-fifth inning. This is your advice. You told me last week, you said you need to go after these people. That's what you told me. No, I'm glad you are, (laughs) but here's the thing that I, 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 I struggle with is that you're surprised. I'm not you surprised. I'm su- Listen, I'm not surprised at the black jersey. I'm not surprised at some of the, you know, the marketing strategy that isn't working. I am surprised at how poorly the game day operations was run by Barclays. There's some, there's right. subtle little changes that could have been done, that could have made it so much better for people there, and it was like it was their first ever game. You know, it was like when I went Let's to. City Field like when they had like the soft open against the Red Sox where no one knew where to go. They don't even let you right, If you want to go downstairs, there. if you want to go downstairs, the escalators don't work. You have to take the stairs to go downstairs and come back up. Right. Right. Well that that's a whole yeah, that's a whole different thing. Uh let's see what our buddy Drew from Bayshore has to say. Drew, you're on with Mike and Joe.
4: Hey, good morning guys. Uh sorry. I Haven't called in the last few weeks. I've uh, hand waved you guys. I guess you could say. That uh, uh, hand
0: waved us. Well, Joe. <laughs> Joe had to make the show early last last week because uh, yeah. he had another exhausting weekend of uh, of you uh, know you know when Who Harry met Sally wedding. wedding. I was at. I was actually at that. He was at the wedding. Are you at the wedding? With, was it your uh, yeah. wedding, Drew? I came out with a Mets. I came out with a Mets jersey. I I can Manchester.
4: confirm that. I can confirm he came out with a Mets jersey.
0: They should have came out with a Max Scherzer jersey since he's have no <laughs> I know. I, I oh didn't know God. they were getting uh, no hit as I was doing that. Yes. What do you got yeah, on your you mind, know. Drew? What do you got for us? Well, you know,
4: I, I wanted to call in big win last night. I was struggling to stay awake as you guys were. Uh, a I'm, tough uh, one, Drew. I'm sorry the to West hear about
0: a tough
4: Ooh, That was a tough one. I had no coffee in me either yesterday. It was a long week. I was, <laughs> I was dozing in and out of the seventh and eighth inning. And I, I, I was contemplating, you know, uh, firing up a, a, a pot of espresso, but then I was uh, afraid I I'd about be that up, too. until I, – so I was afraid I'd be up until tonight, you know.
0: So <laughs> I, uh, I, I just tried. You're going to need it, Drew. Through it, Drew. here's my advice. See, unlike mm-hmm. Joe Bono, who has a very low stress life throughout the week, unlike you and I, and you know, yes. you know, kinda has the, you know, the, tw- the two minute commute, and you know, he has all these. Very prestigious bank holiday because they own the economy. Only those who own the economy and have non-revenue generating jobs could take off Columbus Day. Joe Bono has that luxury. Um, <laughs> you and I, on the other hand, are grinders, Drew. And I, I you and grinding. I are going to see. the real Drew, do you have work on Monday? Tel- <laughs> actually, I do not. Yeah, he's off. So- uh, I'm off. <laughs> no, I'm so, Drew, here's <laughs> Drew, here's here's the bottom line. Here's where it's going to get tough. Tonight is the real test. Because yes, it you stayed up for one, one maybe one. Because now you got to wind down. You have to watch the post. Because you, now you're jazzed up after the last out. So you got a thirty minute wind down. So oh, now Lord. you got. You know you probably don't want to nap. You got some things going on here. I certainly do. Saturday afternoon, nine o'clock tonight. It's forty five minutes early, but this is where it's going to be with a rubber meets the road here, and it's going to be. Oh quiet. yeah. Well, I think I tonight is going to be a go lot out. Of you're going to need the espresso I'm... tonight. Yeah, I don't know if Maxwell House Coffee is going to do it. Now, I have three cups of coffee no. in me this morning to do this show. I don't oh, know if boy. it's in my best interest from a health standpoint to have more within the same day. Probably but not. I might have. I'm,
4: I'm, I'm going to uh, give you my opinion. It's probably not in your best interest. You probably want to go right to the espresso or switch to the espresso uh, going forward. Uh, tonight, though, I think, I think I'm going to go out because I think if I'm in the atmosphere – you know, with a bunch of people and a big bar or something like that, you know, I'm not gonna have trouble. I don't think staying awake. So, I think That's what I'm gonna do when Matt going, going out with Jeff.
0: Possibly, We have to. Uh, we need to find a better place than um, yes. our last our last uh, oh outing <laughs> together. Where they That's where true. they were, where they refused to uh, put up the volume and yeah, change the game to uh, so. you know Tennessee uh, yeah. Tennessee Mississippi State when the game was over. Why don't you guys go to Applebee's in Sheep'shead Bay?
4: Applebee's, uh, come on. Bay. What did come I on, lose Mike. a bet? What did I lose a bet? I'm going there.
0: I mean, come on. I mean, well, at, at least you'd be able to watch the game. Show. We were up. I mean, I could That's go to a new place to watch. Game. I could go to Anthony's Cold Fire Pizza. I could go to uh, John Harvard's. I could go to Applebee's. I could go to Chili. Chili's. I could probably. That's walk all you to have the out there. That's All you yeah. have out there. You have these franchises that are just cookie cutter franchises. We we want some place with some authentic right. flavor. Some place that's unique. Yeah. Some place that's got some trend to it. Drew, where where are you, I, Drew? Is that like you in the city? Where are you?
4: No, I'm walking down uh, Union Street. I just crossed Third Avenue, so
0: I'm still oh.
4: walking around.
0: The little Hess Station over there on Fourth Avenue. That used to be one of my sales accounts way back in the day. S is no longer there. <laughs> <laughs> well, speed yeah. S, uh, guys. They spent it, all they spent all their money on uh, Mike <laughs> Silver. to be the around. They used to be the around the clock uh, deli across the street. Another calendar, yep. So Yeah. yeah. That, so that's what do like, you got? Go what else you got for us?
4: when he took when Manley takes out Kershaw, I said to myself, "We're in business. This is what I've been waiting for. This is what." I was waiting for it since the second inning when Drew woke day. up
0: after dozing off. You didn't really watch the game until when Kershaw came out.
4: I I don't even to this moment I don't even know how uh Clipper gave up the run. I I, woke, I was I must have dozed off when I woke up I see Familia in the eighth <laughs> inning and then I was up from the eighth till the to the close of the night, so to speak. But uh, you know I you know, I'm glad that they stayed with the a little longer than I think they would have in the regular season. Um, you know, for te to but Terry Collins, you got to look at it like this. I don't think he trusts a lot of the arms, if not all of the arms, in that bullpen. So I think he works backwards. I think he's like, look, familiar nine, plus if I need. i got to get seven innings out of my starters, and that like, yep. in-between part, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm just going to yeah, try gonna and... Go he's going to go
0: He's going to go, listen. Yeah. He's going to go and... I mean, can and, you kill
4: him? And... Could you kill him for going Yeah, well, I mean... I, I think you Reed is showing
0: more. I mean, uh, no, in a big, big spot. No,
4: I I, that's, that's my roadway. point. I mean, who do you? Who else are you bringing in? In a big spot there. I'm not saying Clifford is the greatest thing. You know, greatest eighth inning guy, but he's got the most experience on the team. I don't trust Addison Reed, by the way. And you look at some of the other names out there. It's slim pick. It really is. So I don't know who you would want to bring him. Uh, him to bring in. And I spot
0: there. Uh Well, and and thanks for the call, Drew. Appreciate it. Get your espresso and everything. And it sounds like he's doing a nice little uh, stroll there on Union Street in uh, in uh, Park Slope. You know what? Uh, you know what? Uh, my um, my thought process is with Kershaw is like when you're watching that as a Mets fan, and they take him out of the game. What do you want to have happen? Right, you want him out of the game. That's how I would view it as is this the right yeah. move or the wrong move? As the as the fan of the team, I'm going take him out. It's like when you're watching football and you're I on your teams on defense, and it's fourth in inches, right. and they bring out the field goal unit. You go, you know, give them the three points. I don't want them to go for it. That, that's how I felt. Right. No, I, I agree with you on that. You know, um, Joe, we we. Let me tell you, if we were in other parts of the country, you and I would be uh, out on our you know, lots on in a radio standpoint. We'd probably get no listeners, but we're going to have to shove football into the show another week. Um, couple, I know we want to get to mojo and the picks and, and what have you. We've got 20 put minutes. We can do football in 20 minutes. I don't, I don't think we have to do more than a few minutes on football. I mean, I, I, this is a game I expect the Giants to win. I don't think they're going to cover. I actually i am going to foreshadow on my picks. I have the Niners as my... Uh, Lucky this week because I think that they're gonna certainly uh, lose by less than seven points. You look at the division and it is pretty much what we thought it would be. I think this is one of those divisions that eight and eight, nine and seven. Well, if anyone can get to nine and seven, could probably win it. It's going to be one of those playoff, you know, you talk about criticizing wild card teams in baseball. Everyone's going to be saying, well, why is the NFC East got this 9-7, 8-8 participant when There's probably going to be a team with more wins that doesn't make the playoffs, and you'll hear that nonsense come January. Um, you know, has anything really changed by the fact that we still don't really know how good the Giants are? Um You know, we certainly think because of the division that they're going to be in this and there will be meaningful football games, at least for the near future. But when you compare both teams, you have to be far more optimistic and excited about the Jets and what you have seen out of the new regime there and about the process versus the Giants where it's like eh, they could score, sure, but... um... Well, you know what, Mike? I will have to disagree with that. I think you're just as optimistic about the Giants as you are the Jets. Um, The Jets had their best performance of the season, I would say, last week. At the same time, the Dolphins are in complete disarray, fired their head coach after four games, which never happens in the NFL, before the bye week, so that's when they had to do it, hired Dan Campbell, the ex-tight end from the Giants, Cowboys, etc. So while I'm ha- while the Jets are should be ecstatic at where they are at 3-1, they're still in the division with the New England Patriots. While if you look at the Giants' situation right now, and that win, I told you, I did not have a great feeling about it, they played... Great against the Bills. Their defense played really, really well, stopped the run again. Eli made that one mistake toward the end of the game, but other than it that, like Rex Another didn't come really prepared smart again. game. Huh? Rex didn't come oh, prepared. All the penalties and talking about the passion of his team and, and just not holding oh, them accountable. But you look tough. at the Giants, Mike, they should have won game one. They should have. I mean, listen, the game one loss was inexcusable. They had a 10 point fourth quarter lead against the Falcons, who were undefeated at home. And if, and if, uh, you know, if Manning just takes three points or doesn't uh, fumble on the nine-yard line there, they win that game. Okay? The Giants could be 4-0. They could be 3-1 at least right now. And their defense, which everyone, including myself, had all these questions around. The safeties have held up. The run defense has been good. They can rush the passer, I understand, but they're being opportunistic and getting some turnovers. And offensively, they're not turning the ball over. And those trends usually last throughout a year. Early on in the season, the team will be either a turnover team or a non-turnover team. And right now, the Giants look like a team that's causing two, three turnovers a game and not turning the ball over. And you'll look at this roster right now, um, schedule. Sunday night football against the, against the Niners, who can't do anything offensively. Monday night football against the Eagles. And at the same Bucks leading up to the Patriots. Okay? They need to be five and three as far as I'm concerned before that Patriot game. Um, is that realistic? Actually, actually, they could be six and three, five and four. It's uh, after it's week ten, okay. And if they're six and three, five and four in this division, they can have a great shot to win it. Great shot to win it.
1: I know they uh, have a great
0: shot to win the division, but I don't think that that's. I mean, look. I'm going to go real quick here. Niners will win. They just won't cover. At the Eagles, that's going to be a tough one. Cowboys at home, they should win that because of no Romo. I don't think they're going to beat the Saints in the dome. Saints, Saints were zero I and three. they beat they beat a Cowboy team without Romo. That's all they did in overtime. they're not, not any good. This, you know, they eventually things are going to go their way. Bucks are in, awful in uh, the dome. The Bucks, yeah, they could beat them. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what that December 6th game against the Jets, where those teams are mm. at that point. It will be. That's a that's a big one. That it. Let's uh let's get our buddy from uh, North Carolina on, Joe. Let's uh let's see what Mojo's got for us uh here as we wrap up the show. Again, if you want to pop in with a call, the number six four six seven one six eight one eight seven. Mojo, uh you're all Mike and Joe. Uh how you doing? I'm sure it was a, a busy football Friday down in the south and a busy evenings, Friday night and Saturday morning for you. How are you?
2: It was very busy. Uh you know, finished up at about eleven oh five yesterday. Uh, with my game story and my call of the high school, scurried out to a bar, a tavern in Belmont, North Carolina, to catch the Mets and
0: uh, stayed out. Is anybody watching uh, the Mets the... in Belmont, North Carolina? Uh, they... uh,
2: not with the same interest and passion that I had, uh, but I was with a couple of uh, radio guys and uh, from the area. So, you know, there was some interest in the game. Baseball is just not a big thing down here um, It's for some reason. I mean, it, it is – to a degree, you know, like the minor league, it's more of an event thing where people go to the games and just hang out and stuff and socialize. But there's no passion to like really follow it uh, in the, the Carolinas. It's more of a football uh, area. I mean, it's just the way it is. But it was a lot of fun watching All right, the, I'm the put Mets with a big one.
0: I'm going to put both you guys, Joe, first you and then you, Mojo. At this time next week, Jeff, will we still be talking about the Mets in the present, form. Yes. you first, Joe. After, After last that, night, yes. yes. Would you have said that before? Yeah, I, I think I I think that the Mets are going to. I would have said, said that. I would have said no. I would have said no before last night, and if they would have lost, I would have said no again this morning. But the way they oh, won Joe, last night, I think yes.
2: I I had the Mets last night. I had the Grom. Uh, I thought he was going to do exactly what he did. Guys got something that Harvey doesn't have, and that's just a a focus on team and we, and and, and I, I just like him. I think that if Syndergaard could somehow steal this game tonight, and, and it's possible, uh, you know, another grind-out game with Cranky Mets have, have gotten to him before. Uh, you come home, I think Mats will close it out for them in game four, I think that the circle game that you know and Harvey and three. I mean, I mean, you're rooting for Harvey. He's just making it so hard to root, you know. Yet you Boris with his well, Harvey's already given his right arm for well, the Mets
0: already, and you know, I mean, that's it's not a, Harvey's it's fault. It's, that's his agent. You know, that's Boris. I know, but it's, know it's just have.
2: so hard to root for the guy. You know, it's just very hard Understood. to. Do. But I, I like the Mets' chances. You know, the two points. You know, uh, I was listening to Drew when I popped on. Uh, Mattingly is probably more an at-mike than, than Collins when it comes to managing a bullpen during the course of a game. And I, I, I told you that off the air uh, going into this series. That's what I, I like. The difference is Mattingly just makes the most bonehead uh, decisions when it comes to his pitching staff. Uh, taking Kershaw out there, I, I just didn't understand that move. And uh, it set it up perfectly. You know, you've got to be ecstatic for a guy like David Wright. Uh, to be able to deliver in that type of situation, after all he's gone through, I think the wild card in that pen. If you remember back in '86, there was a big overweight pitcher that came out and uh, solidified Game Seven for the Mets uh, in relief by the name of Sid Fernandez. I think that uh, Bartolo Colon out of the pen may be more important. I saw some more people calling for him. Yeah, yeah more important people than people think. I mean, I think that you know, right now you've got to look at the formula. You've got to let these guys go 120, 130 pitches, Uh, you know, the starters. I mean, there's plenty of time to rest them next year. You know, the future is now. Uh, This is the present time to go for it. And, you know, try to get eight innings out of these guys uh, and then get to Familia. Uh, You know, you have enough break with the schedule to, you know, rest him amply. Uh, You know, the four-out save is definitely something that they need to do with him because you just really can't trust. I agree with Drew and you guys. You can't trust anybody outside of Familia in that bullpen, and that's why I think Cologne becomes a wild card uh, out of that pen uh, for the Mets. On that he, point,
0: here's something interesting. So if you only get five out of a Syndergaard tonight and you, you have the lead, let's assume you have one nothing 2-1, whatever, a slim lead. Do you go Robles, Reed, Clipper, Familia, or some variation of those four guys, 1-1-1, one, 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 or Joe? Do you do what Mojo said where maybe you say, you know, can we bridge five outs or four outs with Cologne in the sixth inning. Rather than Robles like who that. has a good arm. Who has a good arm Roblaze? Uh, I like it, and I tell you he's why like- I like a reason is that you know you don't have to worry about losing your long man here. The Mets have two guys that if for whatever reason game three or game four things come, the wheels come off early you have another guy there that can throw four or five innings. So you don't have to worry about, well, if I use Cologne here for two innings, I can't then bring him out of the pen in the fifth inning the next night. That's what you have John Neese on the roster for. So right. I'm okay I with I don't this. think Collins thinks like that. I think Collins goes into the game with everybody slotted, and if he slots Cologne as his long guy, Cologne will get in when they need a long guy, meaning long extra inning game or, God forbid, from that point of view, Syndergaard gets knocked out. You know, Mike, you're 100% days.
2: right. And, and if, I was watching Blue Jays in, in Texas before, uh, as I was prepping for my game last night, and Bannister brought his closer in in like a, the 12th and 13th inning or the 11th and try i forget get what the innings were there. And they made the point that he said, this is the postseason, and we have a no-rolls bullpen. We basically right. are going to go into the game and bring the guy in that matches up the situation that we need to. And he knew that he had to get whatever he had to get at that point, so he brought his closer in for those two innings, and then they were able to take the lead, and then he brought uh, the other guy in, uh, the former Yankee there, uh, what's his name, olandor oh, uh, to close the game out, but he did what he had to do to win that game in that situation. And I agree with you, does Collins have the ability to make those adjustments and to do that on the fly, or you know, he's so textbooked by the, you know, this is what I'm going to do, and I, and, I, and he doesn't deviate very much off of that.
0: No, I agree with that. So, um, all right, let's uh, let's get to the picks here, guys. Let me, you uh, know what, let's. Uh... I am now eight and four. Joe, what are you? you what. Might.
2: Yeah, Mike's doing. Mike's, Mike's ripping it up, Joe. Sixth he three. really
0: is.
2: Yeah, so I mean, am I. I'm, so doing, doing, and I'm doing one more. a few words.
0: All right. I love this week. The Cincinnati Bengals. They seem to have it. Dalton, all of a sudden, has figured it out. He's not the turnover machine. And you want to know something? Seattle. Even though I picked them last week to to cover and beat Detroit, it was a close game. There's something missing with the Seahawks. So I'm going to pick the uh, the Bengals who are three point favorite. This week, as my luck, I like the Eagles over New Orleans. And why do I like the Eagles? Because it seems like when a Chip Kelly team has their back up against the wall and has a must-win, they come through. They did it against the Jets a couple of weeks ago. I think they'll do it again. They're at home. New Orleans is a bad road team. Although I would like them if it was in the Dome, uh, I don't like Drew Brees on the road. And my lucky, like I said, and as I foreshadowed, it's going to be the San Francisco 49ers, because the Giants are not going to cover the seven-point spread. I'm not as bullish on the Giants. I need to see more. I think the Niners do stink, but they're not as bad as everyone thinks. Kaepernick does have a way of coming up with a big moment, a big game, and I don't think the Giants can really stop too many teams, despite the fact that you impressed with them against the sloppy and unprepared Rex Ryan Buffalo Bills last week. So those are my Week 5 picks. Why don't we go to Joe. Joe, you want to kick it, and then we'll wrap up a mojo. I was 8-4. What are you, Joe? Sure. So... 2-1 2-1 last week, 6-6 six six overall. I got the Monday night winner with the uh, Lions late comeback. That almost turned into a win. Um, I like the Broncos, minus 4.5 at the Raiders. Now, listen, I understand the Raiders' uh, pass rush might give uh, Peyton Manning some problems. I'm weary of that a little bit. But at the same time, the Broncos just keep on finding ways to win. Not by a huge margin, but they're doing it up. And, again, I think it's the Broncos' defense the difference in this game. I think they forced their card into some turnovers. I think Peyton Manning usually throws 300-yard games against the Raiders. So, you know, historically he's been very, very good against them since he's come back to Denver. I'll take the Broncos, minus 4.5 as my like pick. My love pick is the Ravens, minus 6.5 against the Browns. The reason for this, the Ravens finally got off the schneid after three bad losses was able to get that Thursday night win in dramatic fashion against the Pittsburgh Steelers. They've now had over a week to get prepared for this game. And the Browns just aren't any good. They're one of the more disappointing franchises year in and year out. You feel like they added a couple of weapons, and maybe this is going to take the turn of the corner. And, again, it's not this year. So I love uh, the Ravens minus 6.5. And And my luck pick is the Jags. They're actually a three-point dog at Tampa Bay. I think the Jags win this game. I don't think it's going to be that close, actually. The Buccaneers are brutal. They're brutal at home. Still have never beaten a team at home under Lovey Smith. Jameis Winston just isn't ready here, and I think Blake Bortles makes enough plays to his wide receivers, Alan Hearns and Alan Robinson, so my luck pick is the Jaguars plus three. All right, Jerry Mojo, um, no uh, bring I'm it allowed,
2: home. I'm, I'm allowed to pick a game even though you're on, uh, on a game, right? We're allowed, we can yep, do that yeah, now. No, just
0: don't, pick okay. the same, don't pick the same team. No, Let's no, 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 no.
2: What happened was the, the one game I circled with, this, with the minimal board, I like the Raiders as the best bet of the week. I think Uh, The line was five. It's four and a half, uh, whatever you get it. Um, Jack Del Rio was the interim coach with the uh, Denver Broncos last year. Uh, Oak is really improved. They actually should have beat the Bears. Uh, a couple of mistakes on the road. They're going to be home. It's a divisional game. Uh, you're getting four and a half, five points. Uh, oh, the Broncos playing close to the best right now where they're not blowing people out. I, I like the Raiders uh, getting the points as my best bet. I think they may even actually win the game outright, upset Denver on uh, this uh, week. Uh, it's one of those games. that I just circle it and it looks good. I like te- uh, the San Diego Chargers at home on Monday night. Uh, laying the field goal against the Steelers. Pittsburgh is like the Packers. They're good at home, on the road. They're a very overrated team, yet the public seems to like them. Remember Mike Vick and his performance in San Diego last year, guys? Uh, I do. I remember it vividly. Um, I I like the Chargers to try to get healthy against the Steelers on Monday night. And then my luck, I was going to go with the Rams getting the 10, but I'm going to switch this to the Tennessee Titans as my lucky pick to beat that guy, uh, the defensive genius in Western New York, uh, this line started out at three with Buffalo laying the field goal. You've got about 68% of the public on uh, the Buffalo Bills, and now the line is down to pick them uh, one uh, in favor of Buffalo. So I think Tennessee coming off the bye at home, Marcus Mariota, uh, a lot of people like him, and he's got some weapons with Wright and Delaney Walker. They're able to run the ball. Bill's a little bit banged up. We all know Rex when he's got a coach, uh, what happens, the penalties and everything else. I'm going to take Tennessee as my lucky pick to uh, beat Buffalo at home this week.
0: So, Mojo, at 9 o'clock, will you be in your humble abode? Will you be at a bar? Where will you be watching Greinke? Uh, um, I've
2: I've got college football going on today. Um, I've got to get ready for my Redskins show tomorrow. I do it uh, at Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s uh, abode, Whiskey River. Uh, he's a big Redskin guy, and there are actually seven Redskin affiliates still in North Carolina. That was the team before the Panthers. So they do the play-by-play at the station, and I do a hour pregame uh, from there. So I'll be working on that, watching the Grom. So I will watch, do a little work, and then, Joe, you're right. I will go back. I don't like to break the karma, so I will drive 30 minutes up to Belmont and uh, sit there uh, <laughs> with the guy from last night, and uh, we will watch Noah Syndergaard bring it back to New York with a 2 nothing lead. I, I, I'm pumped. I mean, this is one of those uh, times of years we've been waiting so long, guys, for this Mets team to give us something to get excited about, and uh, it, it's here. So we've got to enjoy it and, and take the ride uh, for as long as we can. All guys, right, Mojo.
0: Hot water. Be well, Mojo. Yeah, I got in some hot water with my coworkers. Like, they had this date scheduled for a while to uh, get together. One of the girls came back. Oh. She was in Dubai for a number of months. So Dears. they wanted to go out for drinks. Why do you want to bowl, hang like, out with people at work? I I enjoy it. They enjoy me. I enjoy them. I have fun with them. Wow. I got invited to their wedding. I got invited to a wedding this week. You, got, you, can, you have to work with these people. You want to hang out more hours with them? I'm going <laughs> to go for a wedding <laughs> but, um, <laughs> So... It got, I got the invite, and well, I, I tried girl. to break it to three girls who don't care about sports that, guys, I can't do drinks and dinner tonight because of the Mets game. And they're like, what? That makes no sense. Just watch on your phone. Why can't you just check on your phone? I'm like, I did the math. I said, 162 times nine. I was like, I've watched and paid attention to 1,458 games for the last nine years so I could have a game like Saturday. I'm yes. like, I'm really sorry. You guys won't get it. Just, just trust me how important it is to me. All due respect, my old credo is, and you're married, I'm involved, so we're not looking, we're not on the prowl. If there ain't no romantic interest, there ain't no point of hanging out. That's why I would go it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, boy. Hey, Joe, we That's didn't why talk don't hang out. anything about Met baseball. There you go. That's why you and I don't hang out. I want to thank Chris Corelli uh, for giving us a little Yankees recap. Check out at Chris underscore Corelli on Twitter. Check them out at sny.tv. Of course, thing, want to thank Mojo. Um, if you want to listen to the show live on replay, go to weekendwatchdogs.com. Send us a tweet at Mike Silver Media, at jbono611, and check us out on iTunes and at the Weekend Watchdogs Facebook page. Enjoy the game tonight, guys. I hope when we return next week we're talking about meaningful Mets NLCS games and not post-mortem. I'm going to say yes, we'll be doing Mets baseball next week. Joe is on board. Mojo's on board. Guys, on board. see you next week. See you next week.